0: Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit.
1: What I'd like to have right now. Where the big boys play. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play.
0: This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at place be nation.com, your pop culture home.
2: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Where the Big Boys Play. And as ever, I'm here with Chad. How are you doing, Chad?
0: Uh, doing a lot better than I was yesterday, Parv. How are you doing?
2: Fine, yeah. I'm just settling into Christmas here. I'm back in Wales. Um, so if I do find, sound a bit funny today, um, it's because I'm on my little netbook here. <laughs> and I found a quiet room upstairs. Uh, I did, and in fact, explaining it to my uh, mum just now is like, um, I'm just going to go upstairs for two hours. She's like, "Well, oh, what are you doing?" Um, uh, I, I, I'm I'm going to talk to a guy on Skype for a while. I didn't actually explain what I was doing properly. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> when I uh, actually when I uh, met Justin, uh, when I went up there for WrestleMania, I went to Justin's house on that Monday. And uh, his dad was there babysitting Justin's daughter, and uh, that that was a that was a humorous encounter because <laughs> you could tell like this, you know this this older guy just had no kind of uh, inclination or understanding whatsoever of how this uh, happened. Where I flew up from Georgia to go to a wrestling event, but but yeah, I was going to ask you is uh, is the game beer pong is that played over in Britain?
2: Beer pong. Can you explain the rules? I I haven't played it.
0: You basically uh, line solo cups in a triangle format uh, on one one you know one triangle on each side of a table, and then you have little uh, ping pong balls that you try to throw into the opponent's cup, and they're <laughs> they're filled uh, about a fourth with uh, beer. And if you ring the cup, then one of the team members has to uh, drink that beer, and you play until uh, you've eliminated all the cups, you've rung all the cups with the ping pong. Well, sounds fun. No, I, uh, I, I had a blast doing it Saturday night. I don't remember much of it, but I did go uh, 9-0, and so I'm the Goldberg of uh, beer pong right now.
2: <laughs> you're right. Uh, that's what you're good at, is it beer pong? Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so, uh, you said you had a couple of things that you wanted to mention at the top of, uh, today's show, Chad, some, uh, some, some plugs, some place to be nation business? Uh, just a
0: couple of plugs. Uh, first, right off the top is the, uh, Titans of Wrestling. Um, they, uh, that's, uh, Johnny Sorrow, Kelly, and, uh, Pete's show that I enjoy greatly. (laughs) Oh, and, uh, oh, and Parv's on it, too. But, uh. But uh, I just uh, about two minutes before we uh, started recording here, I listened to the uh, Shea Stadium show, and I thought that was interesting. Just overall, from a big show standpoint, a lot of discussion on the uh, stadium shows, history of stadium shows, kind of an overview of Bruno versus Larry's a feud. Since this is the last final chapter, uh, so that was a very good listen. And also, Wrestling with the Past, their new show yesterday came out. It was on uh, Shawn Michaels. I listened to that, too. That That's a good two and a half hours that kind of fly by where you get a overview of Shawn Michaels' whole career, and that's a good listen to. And just a friendly reminder, if you are buying anything through Amazon.com, please just go to place to be nation.com. You can click on the uh, Amazon link on the right hand side, their box that says amazon.com. And uh, it gives us a quick little kickback. Uh, no, no added work really on your part. except one extra click and we'll greatly appreciate it.
2: You need to show that like stone cold, Steve Austin, Chad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, Talk about my new scope on my gun or whatever. Yeah. yeah
2: um and uh yeah the one one little thing i wanted to mention is that i i do seem to be getting quite a few messages from people these uh days about you know trying to get into the uh podcasting uh game and whatnot and i think a lot of not a lot of people realize or maybe some people don't realize that um my co-host here mr mr chad gamble is uh quite an important
0: figure in the whole place to be set up you you are basically the head of the podcast right chad uh, yeah, if you if you do record a podcast and uh, you would like for it to possibly be on to be com, you can send me an email uh, with a link to it at Chad C at PlaceToBeNation and I'll give it a uh, look over. I'll give you some feedback, if nothing else, and we'll proceed from there. Okay, great. Are you taking applications at the moment? Um, I mean, we, we've got a pretty full lineup right now, but uh, I'm, I'm always willing, if uh, there's a good podcast out there that I think brings a uniqueness to what we already offer, always willing to add one more.
2: Okay, great. Um, well, okay, so uh, let, let's, uh, we're, we're going to be uh, reviewing Clash of the Champions 13 today. Uh, what's it called? Thanksgiving Thunder or something?
0: Yeah, nothing says Christmas like a Thanksgiving <laughs> Thunder show.
2: <laughs> look, look nice and seasonal here. Um, yeah. And uh, But I have uh, some uh, Dave Meltzer stuff uh, to uh, give you here.
1: It's time for the Wrestling Observer, Extra Wrestling Observer Extra with Dave Meltzer.
2: And my first one is November the
0: 12th. Okay. Uh it, I'm I'm pretty sure uh like I was telling Par off air before we started recording the torch these uh there's only like three or four torches in between Havoc and this show and there's not a lot of uh like editorials or torch talk with WCW members that kinda distinguish the torch from the observer. So right. we're probably gonna be hitting on some of the same news bits here.
2: Okay, well, in the November tw- uh, then Meltzer seems to have an unusual amount in his November the 12th uh, edition. Um, in particular, the big news is that Stan Lane and Jim Cornette have quit WCW. Right. Um, and Bobby Eaton has decided to stay. And uh, Meltzer says this ends the seven-year association between Eaton and Corny. Um, and he says that Cornette was arguing with Ole Anderson about the fact that Eaton was booked um to wrestle three times at tv taping and uh anderson was basically ignoring him so anderson kept on ignoring him and corny got really mad until um ole turned around and said that if you don't like it you can always leave and then uh, corny in a fit of rage is like right fine I'm, I'm gonna leave then um Eaton because of family commitments and a six-figure contract that sees him through to may the 15th decided to stay um Meltzer likens uh, this whole thing, Cornette leaving, to a stress f- fracture. Um, basically, like, apparently wear and tear on a particular thing, like if some th- one thing keeps on getting beaten on, you get a stretch. after time you get a stress fracture and it finally breaks. He, say- he's- he said, basically, this is, um, you know, this whole thing had been coming for some time. Corny had also been extremely unhappy about the overall direction of the company, as you might imagine. Um, given what the company's been doing recently. Um, and then in an interesting little bit, because we, we talked about this uh, last time, didn't we? Uh, Meltzer t- t- likens the situation to Rick Rude. Um, you know how we said it was weird that Rick Rude was sitting out and he wasn't, he didn't sign on with anyone? Right. Well, apparently Lane and Cornette are also both technically tied up till May, um, and so legally can't work for the WF until after that point. Because they quit and weren't fired. And apparently, Rude's deal was the same. Because he basically walked out, he still wasn't allowed to compete with anyone until his contract was officially over. I didn't know that. Did you know that?
0: Well, that's interesting because they do show up in USWA in January of 1991.
2: Right. which Because I thought legally that seems odd. Because, I mean, I, I mean, even I've left jobs, you know, and on to work with somebody else before my contract was officially done you know uh yeah i mean
0: there's there's no i mean there is well i mean there is certain stipulations that can be put in i know my uh, father a couple years ago left his job to go to their biggest competitor actually and there was some kind of specific stipulations like certain areas that he couldn't work in and stuff like that. So I, there is some kind of weird verbiage.
2: Like a no-compete clause.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's almost maybe almost essentially it's written, what it was.
2: Maybe it's just written in you can't work for WF. And yes, yeah. WA are probably like too small I to care about or something.
0: Right, that's what I was thinking. I mean, they're only there for a brief time. But I think that's more of a dispute they had with uh, USWA. And then they – I don't know when the pilot episode of Smoky Mountain Wrestling was actually filmed. I know it was in the can for quite a long time before it actually saw the light of day. So that was probably mid-1991 when they filmed the first uh, few Smoky Mountain TV episodes.
2: Well, there's actually more to this story um, because shortly after this, evil Jim Heard, um, our favorite uh, promoter here (laughs) – sent a letter trying to persuade Cornette to come back, um, and he wanted Stan Lane and Cornette to come to a TV taping. This apparently pissed Ole Anderson off quite a lot, because all these things were going on behind his back. Um, So the company is bending over backwards to keep Cornette when he wanted them gone. Um, So I guess you can see that the writing on the wall is there for Ole here as well, given that this sort of thing is happening. Um, Also... Apparently, um, Cornette had refused to do an angle at Halloween Havoc involving the Southern Boys, in which um, they wanted him—they uh, wanted uh, the Southern Boys to break a pumpkin over Cornette's head—and he wouldn't do that. <laughs>
0: yes, <laughs> um, he's talked about that on a, a shoot interview.
2: Yeah, and uh, well, have you uh, listened to any of his new podcasts? Uh,
0: I have not. I've uh, kind of—I'm a little leery. I must be honest because of the whole political. Kind of tone. I've heard some of the shows, take, yeah. but uh, I think as long as he stays majorly focused on wrestling, they should be entertaining. But like Cornette is one of these guys that the farther he's removed from the kind of more, I guess, uh, uninformed he sounds. He feels like now? I know when he was in Ring of Honor after he badmouthed TNA and left TNA, and then he went to Ring of Honor. He really kind of looked like an out of touch person, like in the in the company, bringing back the headbangers and <laughs> all that.
2: Well, he, I mean, his recent show with Jim Ross was pretty good, but um, it's still the same, like he's it's the same stuff he's been saying for ten years. I quite I quite enjoy it though. He's quite enjoy his old man rants though, but um, yeah, he's still saying the same stuff really. Yeah. Um. They, there's a battle between the NWA and WCW over the use of the NWA name. Oh. E- Evil Jim Hurd has sent out a memo never to refer to the champ as the NWA world champion. Right. Right. The, N- the NWA board, who at this point consists of Don Owen, Giant Barber, Jim Crockett Promotions, believe it or not. Oh, God. Fred Ward and Elliot Murnick. Uh, Elliot Murnick? I, I, I don't know who those last two guys are.
0: Yeah, not familiar. Fred Um, Ward, he sounds familiar.
2: Well, apparently these are, like, three of the of these committee members weren't even, um, weren't even actively promoted in wrestling. Only Don Owen and Barber were still actually involved. (laughs) Um, but anyway, they wanted a big payoff for the use of the name. Um, and apparently WCW offered something like 30 grand for the use of the name.
0: Uh... Oh, yeah, that's right. That's who... Fred Ward is. He's the one that in uh, in Georgia he ran like the the uh, Macon Columbus type territory. Oh, well, great! Like okay. like on the Tuesday show.
2: Right. Well, he was still sitting on the NWA board in nineteen ninety.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I know he he's one of the. Uh, I know he's quickly some that. Apparently or allegedly has a lot of footage, um, has a lot of footage that hasn't seen the light of day and just will refuse to negotiate with anyone on uh, releasing any of it.
2: Well, he's, so the, like, he's not my new least favorite person in the world. Yeah,
0: there's, there's <laughs> a lot of speculation that he may have at least the Macon uh, Columbus type TV that uh, that they taped he at least probably has those tapes but who knows
2: so. that's, that's really annoying especially uh i mean georgia great great territory that yeah any
0: yeah i mean any arena stuff from there would be an upgrade pretty much over what we have
2: but i mean i I've, I've basically got everything for georgia now in a certain time period and it's not a lot it's like 10, right. 10, 10 disks worth and it's all like interviews and squashes and things um right. I might do a show on it one day. We'll we'll see. It's it's difficult to talk about just squashes and interviews, though, right? Mm
0: -hmm. It is.
2: Um, Well, as we'll see on the show, Chad. (laughs) Um, So, uh, anyway, he's got a whole thing, now about newcomers coming in for the Clash. He has no idea who Magnum Force are, Meltzer. Um, He says that the Night Stalker is the same guy from AWA... Um, who, is, who was said while he was in AWA that he makes Sid look like Ric Flair. Because he's that bad. Um, he's going to be managed by Ox Baker, apparently. Uh, Big Cat is Curtis Hughes, who worked some for AWA, yes. AWA as well. Um, Sergeant Kruger and Colonel De Clerc will be um, Ted Petty. Um, and somebody, yeah, and somebody who's yet to be found. Um, so he doesn't know who the second person is. And, um, I actually have got conflicting info on this. Um, because Wikipedia claims it's Matt Osborne, whereas, um, Matt yeah. says it's somebody else.
0: Oh, uh, Sergeant Kruger, the guy that wrestled was Matt Bourne.
2: Yeah, I thought that Oscar Oscar Oscar. as well. But he uh, I, in the actual review, uh, he's got something completely different. um huh? I'll uh, I'll pull that up later. Um, Camilla's partner has yet to be set, but apparently um, there was talk of it being the Botswana beast. Uh, but he's out in Japan, so he's out, um, which is also not true because the Botswana beast was on the car. <laughs> God, what a mess. Um, Meltzer guesses that it will be Ray Candy as Kareem Mohammed. And he's just written here, Where's Leroy Brown when you need him? Um, was Kareem Mohammed one of the Zambui Express? Was he something, something like that? Uh, yes, he
0: was, actually. And that was uh, Ray Candy, who was Leroy Brown in Mid South.
2: I, I think that uh, isn't the second member of the Zambui Express dead or something by this point? I think one
0: of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe so. He's <laughs> This this was, this little card is such a mess.
2: What was Kamala doing in nineteen ninety? Surely like he would have been the natural guy to bring in.
0: Well why did they bring in the snowman is what I wanna know. I mean they could have brought in maybe the snowman from um from uh USWA around this time because he was he was <laughs> he done had his following out, he was running around with the USWA title or whatever. <laughs> so it's possible.
2: Maybe they, maybe they thought nobody would buy him as an African. I don't know.
0: Okay. Terrible.
2: We'll talk more about that in a bit. Owen Hart is due to uh, debut in January. Uh, Barry Wyndham, for some reason, is not booked for any December house shows. Reasons not given. Um, apparently, poorly dangerously did a good job on Sally Jesse Raphael this past week. Um, and uh, I thought this was interesting. There's talk of te- bringing Terry Funk back, either as an announcer or is the Black Scorpion, uh, but that doesn't look like it's happening. Um,
0: and by this point, he'd already won uh, the USWA title, too. Had he? Yeah, that tournament, I think's October 8th, 1990.
2: No, I, I think that uh, Terry Funk at this point, though, is about to head off back to Japan for the tag tournament in December. I think he goes back to Japan, doesn't he?
0: Um, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's in the 1990 Real World Tag League. I can look that up real quick. Also, Ray Candy and Leroy Brown are two different people. I thought they were, I told, I thought they were the same person. Is, I told you, I'd get confused. Leroy
2: Brown, the other Zambui Express. Yeah,
0: that's the other Zambui Express, the Elijah, whatever, it, I can. Did he,
2: now, did he die in 1988? I,
0: uh, I'm not sure. I know Ray Candy, the wrestler, he died fairly early, I think. Okay, uh, nineteen ninety four. So nineteen ninety four, right there.
2: So they're still around. well. Wow.
0: And then let's see about uh, Leroy Brown, the wrestler. He's probably around that point too. But carry on.
2: Yeah. Um. That apparently there were going to be big. Nineteen
0: eighty eight. Leroy yeah. Brown. Yeah, so I, I, I always yeah. get
2: particular figure stuck in my head. Um. And uh, I had a feeling that one of them was dead. Yeah. Um. So that was a pretty tasteless little joke by uh <laughs> there. Um, anyway.
0: Uh, uh, wait a minute, you're, you're talking about tasteless jokes when I, uh, just finished, uh, listening to a renegade match on the latest Titans of Wrestling?
2: Was that me, though? I didn't make... Well,
0: I, th- I did think I heard a chuckle. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I did, um... I did, and I did laugh at somebody's suicide oh, yeah. as well, so sorry about that.
0: Uh, just really quick, uh, two more things. One, Terry and Dory Funk were in the Real World Tag League
2: 1990.
0: Yeah, I thought they were. Uh, so they finished tied for third there. Also, uh, in the Titans of Wrestling, you talk about Yukon Eric with that whole discussion. And Yukon Eric is somebody that I'm actually really fascinated by because uh, he drew really well with that angle with... Um, with Taylor then his, yeah. his suicide is actually kind of tragic because he committed suicide in Cartersville, Georgia, which is uh, where I, I, a few members of my family grew up and are from. Right. And he actually committed suicide in the parking lot of a truck or of a truck of a church where he got married at. Oh. So it's, it's kind of very tragic. Very tragic. I, I would like to hear you know, kind of comprehensive bio on him. He, he's always someone that I've been really fascinated because he was, a you know, a big player, and then for it to end like that, you kind of don't know why or how. But
2: Yeah, and I should note, I wasn't laughing at his actual suicide. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was laughing at the idea that he committed suicide because he lost an Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh,
2: yeah, I'd be interested to know more about him as well. Uh, he's only 40 years old. You don't you don't actually hear a lot about him. His name no,
0: come up that. and I and I wonder kind of that's the thing because I mean you do hear basically how well the feud with Kowalski drew, but I uh, almost would like to know kind of as a uh, as a modern counterpoint, like how big he was, you know, worldwide, and where did he draw elsewhere? So he's always somebody I've been pretty fascinated with.
2: Um. Yeah, so uh, the, the Turner organization is making big cutbacks uh, cut across the board from CNN to TBS. So this is set to affect um, WCW in the coming year. Um, and uh, more news on Magnum Force now, apparently they debuted twice. First time, uh, they were two guys, about five foot eight, described as decent jobbers. The second time, they came out as the ring lords. Um, there was a particular house show where a lot of guys debuted. He says Big Cat, Magnum Force, Motor City Madman and Night Stalker all look terrible at this particular house show. <laughs> and and he says particular emphasis on the word terrible in the case of the latter two. So um yes. Uh more on the more on all of those chaps later. Um so my next one is November the nineteenth. Anything anything else in the in the torches around this
0: point? The only thing um about that was that the Cornette and lane and then the WCW name issues were the dominant news bits. Uh, only other thing that you didn't mention was Keller talks. Arcade 1991 was going to be at the Kemper arena tentatively. Right. Which I don't know why they're planning that far ahead, but, uh, but that was in there. And then he also did, this is non WCW related, but there's a long torch talk with Chris Adams. Uh, which is very interesting because he gives his opinion on various individuals like Eddie Gilbert and then also talks about the Austin feud that is just uh, wrapped up around this time.
2: That's interesting. Is, it, is Chris Adams dead, Chad? I, I can't... Help. Yes. Yeah, yes. he was dead, right, yeah. Yes. And I thought I thought he was. I just wanted to double check. Because um, I'd actually like to hear Austin talk more about that feud and yeah, about well, his career, you know.
0: Yeah, he stole his wife, so I don't think they actually have the uh, most chummy. Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, he doesn't really talk about that very often for obvious no. reasons. Um,
0: I don't think. Uh, also, is he's, he's very fond of how he was trained. So there's there's kind of good, uh, some kind of bitter blood still. So uh, no-
2: November the nineteenth, and. Um, <clears throat> we we've been following the fortunes of Jesse Ventura and uh he's just been elected mayor of Brooklyn Park in Minnesota yes, yes. with 63% of the vote the the only uh, entertaining thing about this is that they ran a local smear campaign against him where um he done this interview in Penthouse magazine um when in 1989 and he did it like K Faber's a heel and um they were using quotes from his heel interview just <laughs> smear. <laughs> You know, like, when he was, like, calling fans, like, peons and stuff. Um, And apparently, Ventura was furious about this, and he had to explain that he was playing a heel character and all this. So, Um, Yes. Uh, WCW have spent $1,000 on a trophy for the Pat O'Connor Memorial Tournament. Um, This trophy is 7 foot 8 inches tall. And they are negotiating with Sam Muchnick to be uh, present in person to give it to the eventual winners of the Pat O'Connor Memorial. I how this much
0: was, uh, negotiating power would Sam have? I mean, <laughs> how, what is he holding now? How much uh, demand is there for him?
2: Uh, I may have an update on that in a in a in a uh, upcoming. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a figure for you. Chad. <laughs> um, yeah, and the gear is about like ninety years old at this point as
0: well. Yeah, I mean, how much of the audience would have possibly known who that was?
2: Well, don't underestimate St. Louis.
0: Even still, I can't imagine. <laughs> well, as, I mean, as someone who was in Madison Square Garden.
2: Yeah. Chad?
0: I'm here. Sorry. Uh, I'll just restart there. Yeah. All right, as someone who was in Madison Square Garden and saw kind of a tepid reaction for Bruno Sammartino that was not as big as Mick Foley, uh, wow. I now never underestimate the uh, the longevity of some wrestling fan's memory.
2: Yeah, but at this point, I guess Mushnick would have been gone for, what, eight, eight years? Eight years? So, and if you think about it, uh, like the, pop, the Mick Foley's kind of been gone for about eight years, say. I mean, I, I don't think it's too... Like, I mean, Bruno had been gone for, what, 15, 20 years at this point when you saw him?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, since really, what, 1986?
2: Right. So I think St. Louis kind of shut up shop in 19... Well, much Nick was kind of gone in 82. Um, And this is what? So this is eight years later. So it's just about kind of... And I think they were banking on bringing back some of those old fans to this. You know, Pat O'Connor Memorial... um, have, you know, I think they were trying to. They 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 were bringing in Dick the Bruiser for it. You know, so I think they were banking on bringing back some of those old hardcores. Okay. Um, who had been away. I, I like they had they didn't um, convert much of them to WF as we know. <clears throat> once um once WF took over there, those fans kind of disappeared, that's right. far as I understand them. Um. Now, Meltzer says I thought this was quite interesting for Meltzer. He says not to run run O'Connor down. From a PR standpoint, they would have been better off promoting it as if um, as the Bruiser Brody Memorial instead. He said that both nationally and in Saint Louis itself, uh, Brody was more over than O'Connor. He says that O'Connor settled down um, mainly in central states after the 1960s. Now, I have to say that Meltzer is not right here. I, I happen to know for a fact that O'Connor was book, the booker for Saint Louis for all of the 1970s. And he was basically on every single seventies card um that um Mattisick goes through on that fifty seven talk dot com thing so I think Melt is a bit off on that
0: yeah okay. and uh and did O'Connor ever draw as well as i mean I'm sorry did Brody ever draw as many people as O'Connor did when oh. he faced buddy rogers
2: um no well, I don't think that he drew as well um I, I think that the main point, though, that Meltzer is basically right, that Brody was more over than O'Connor uh, in more recent memory. Like, you know, maybe back in 1961, O'Connor was a big draw. But, I mean, O'Connor was – he he was the booker. He was essentially like a mid-card guy, like a gate in a gatekeeper role for most of the 70s, um, from what I can make out. You know, he, he wasn't headlining any of those shows. Brody was a massive draw in St. Louis. Um So he's right about that. And he'd kind of died in recent memory as well. Like he, you know, in quite a well-publicized way. So, um, yeah, I think, do you think he's got a point? that They they should have made it the Bruiser Brody Memorial?
0: I don't really want to kind of expertly say one way or the other, based on uh, me not knowing, you know, the comprehensive history of Gates and St. Louis and what have you. But I, I do think – I do take most of what Meltzer says about Brody with a grain of salt just yeah. in general because of kind of his uh, rose-colored glasses that he wears when discussing Brody, both work rate and as a draw.
2: Yeah, okay. Um, so Mel- Meltzer now uh, turns, and he struggles to find out who – he really wants to know who the teams are. <laughs> like he, You can tell that he's really struggling to find out um, the identities of all of the teams from all the different nations. It's quite fun to watch him try. Um, he says that the Russian team, uh, he doesn't know who they are, but apparently they're both called Igor. <laughs> um, and apparently these two Russian chaps called Igor are genuine Soviets who are trained as amateurs, not as pro wrestlers. And uh, Meltzer predicts disaster if uh, they end up being the Russian contingent. Um, the French team are going to be two very green guys from Larry Sharp School, um, or they were set to be. But in a heartbreaking story, they were—they both quit their jobs. Um, so these two guys were going to have this match at Starcade. Okay, they quit their jobs. They spent double time at the gym getting ready, only for WTW to turn around and say that they want two legit French guys instead. <laughs> uh, that's really harsh, isn't it? That's
0: pretty, pretty harsh.
2: Um, in another story, uh, the juicer art bar, um, is at the center of a big controversy because somebody allegedly, they think somebody from the Titan office sent clippings to evil Jim Hurd and others, um, of news stories from Portland, Oregon of alleged rape charges about bar. Um, with the message, how could you let a guy like this on TV? Now, he has been pulled from TV, but he's not been fired yet, and the situation is currently up in the air. Evil Jim Heard is awaiting word from the prosecuting attorney in the case about why it was dropped. Apparently, Barr had plea bargained uh, to a misdemeanor sexual abuse, with the penalty being community service work and probation, which he's already completed. Uh, and Heard already has one letter from the attorney saying that Barr's behavior has been exemplary. Um, Heard admitted that, the company, that if the company had known about all of this before, they wouldn't have hired him, probably. But since they have hired him, he doesn't want to punish the guy for a second time uh, for an offense that he's already kind of served punishment for. Um, so evil Jim Heard there, showing a little bit of compassion for
0: producer Art Barr. Any thoughts, Chad? Um, not not really. I mean Art Art Barr is a uh, kinda interesting guy and his whole run which was kinda drug fueled and I th- I think you can see instances, especially in his Mexico stuff, of lost potential. But uh one I g honestly the most interesting thing to me is uh after listening to the Portland Titans wrestling and hear Art bar's dad described as a popsicle uh sandy bar <laughs> we we now realize that Art bar is called the juicer, so they both kind of that family lineage has some uh unique nicknames to their hat
2: and didn't we see him throwing popsicles into the crowd as well uh, yeah, they were
0: throwing <laughs> treats into the crowd at Halloween havoc, so all sorts of kind of food kid kid food related uh Items.
2: Yes, let's move swiftly on from uh, from our Bar. Then, <laughs> um, Flair Rick Flair was at a recent Gators versus Georgia game that got mainstream coverage all through Florida. Um, doesn't say who won. Um, do you support Georgia in that? Yes,
0: yes, <laughs> I am a, a Georgia Bulldogs fan,
2: uh, and no. that is
0: that is the biggest game of the year for a, a Georgia Bulldog.
2: The the Gators game?
0: Yeah, the uh, Gators are probably the biggest, I would say they're the biggest rival. Uh, Georgia actually has some good rivalries, but uh, but yeah, the uh, the Georgia-Florida game is almost like a holiday down here.
2: So the, the mainstream press basically picked up on the fact that Ric Flair was at this game, but ironically, TBS did not cover that game, and Flair's appearance wasn't acknowledged by TBS, so he's uh, got a bee in his bonnet about that. Um and in other news, Barry Wyndham will probably be taking Flair's place um at the tag match in Starcade. But he doesn't say why. So there we go.
0: Yeah, I knew Georgia was dreadful uh this year, so nineteen ninety was uh they went they went four and seven that year. They lost that game to Florida, who was ranked number ten at the time, uh thirty eight to seven, so they got blown out there.
2: Does, does it say does it have a little asterisk there, Ric Flair in attendance?
0: <laughs> it does not, but it also says that uh, the following players were drafted into professional football following the 1989 season, and uh, that is the previous mentioned Bill Goldberg. Oh wow, wow!
2: There we go. Um, so uh, my next one is November 26th. Uh, any any other bits from the torch uh, before I move on?
0: there um, was one little tidbit that I found interesting was that Bobby Eaton apparently has interest in training El Gigante. <laughs> I, I thought that'd be amusing seeing them roll around in the ring. Um, they said that Sid would be the baby face in the clash match coming up. And also Flair is doing kind of retrospective soft-spoken interviews on the WCW hotline. <laughs> So again, I thought that was be kind of interesting to call into, and also <laughs> it shows how diversified they're still making the hotline. Because on the last show, remember I told you about they were doing the roundtable, yeah, uh, discussion. So they're really trying to make. I mean, just almost every issue of the Torch talks about something on the hotline. So they're really trying to make that like a rever- revenue stream during nineteen ninety.
2: Yeah, and they pushed it big on this show as well. Uh, yeah. As we as we saw, okay. Um, hold on a second. Okay. Uh, yeah, we obviously uh, obviously uh, Bobby Eaton didn't get very far with his training about Giante because uh, I can't think <laughs> of two workers further apart than those two.
0: It feels kind of weird that I mean Eaton does feel like he'd be a really good trainer or could have been. Yeah, and it doesn't. I can't unless I'm blanking on someone. It's kind of surprising that Bobby Eaton, uh, to the best of my knowledge, never really trained anybody, because it seems like he'd be a very good wrestling trainer, just based on the variety of off- and the different types of wrestling styles he could do as a performer.
2: November the 26th now, and uh, rumors are flying around that Dusty Rhodes has handed in his notice to WWF, and is set to finish in January. Um... I think those rumours are pretty true, don't you, Chad? <laughs> yes. Um Now, Ole Anderson may also, well, be on his way out of WCW as a booker as well. Um, the official word from the WCW office is that none of this is true. Now, apparently, Vince hates losing people to WCW at all, um, so he's trying to give Dusty a front office job. However, he thinks that Rose's days as an active wrestler are over, and Rhodes apparently wants one final run. So... Um, the names of Bill Watts and Terry Funk are both being bandied about as possible replacements for Ole Anderson. However, Watts has already made it clear that he will not answer to evil Jim Heard, And uh, apparently Heard's overtures to Funk um, to come back in some capacity have been rebuffed because Funk has said that he w- he won't work for the company while Ole is Booker. And he wanted more money. So he, he's already tried to bring him back either as a wrestler or as an announcer, and he didn't want any of it. But um, this is why Funk's name is in the frame as Booker now, because um Heard has already tried to bring him in twice already. Um, Mel said, warns against bringing Dusty back as Booker. Uh, he says, this was the man, after all, who ran JCP into the ground with his hot shotting ways. But he says... Um, a Dusty would probably be more effective as a booker now because there's some company management and structure in place. Agree with that, Chad?
0: Uh, yeah, I would generally agree with that. I think that's true.
2: I think Dusty is a guy who needs a firm boss, really, isn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah, as we've discussed, kind of ad nauseum. you he, uh, <laughs> he got to kind of hold his hand on some uh, spending decisions.
2: Um, a little bit of non-WCW news now. Um, that I thought would be of interest to you, Chad, that uh, Joe Pedesino has bought Jerry Jarrett's TV syndication with his GWF promotion. I was just wondering, did you see any of that? Have you seen any of that stuff?
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of weird, um, actually, that it happened this early because what you find from watching the 1991 footage that I've seen, uh, the beginning of the year is still the USWA Texas stuff with Eric Embry, Tom Pritchard, Jeff Jarrett kind of running around, yeah. and then you get a very kind of severe uh, sea goo into the global stuff, where, uh, where it's, you know, Lightning Kid and Jerry Lynn all of a sudden.
2: Now, now that, that's interesting, because in this same edition of the uh, Observer, um, or, or maybe the next one, um, I, I'm sure I read that the Dallas office is closed down. It shuts. Um, the the you know the Texas wing of the USWA shuts down. Is that true? Is that what happens?
0: Um, I think they. I know they did shut it down eventually, and then Pettacino actually like uh, took the crew and everything that they had in Georgia, and basically moved it to Dallas. Right, but I'm I'm not positive from a timeline standpoint because, like I said, we're I know it as late as into April, there's still USWA Texas kind of footage that Roger. was running on TV.
2: Maybe either they had a bunch of stuff already in the can, or that's possible. Is it possible they were filming it from Memphis? Uh,
0: no, because this is Sportatorium. Oh right, okay. Up in '91, it's the Sportatorium. So I mean, I mean, it's possible that uh, that well, Pedicino kind of did still stuck with their uh, their angles and kind of their ideology for a little while until he was ready to film the global stuff. But
2: I, I guess, sure. I guess, I mean, booking booking it from Memphis, like running Texas shows, but booked from Memphis. I don't know if that happened at all.
0: Well, I think the, I mean, the USWA Texas stuff was essentially they were in kind of different universes, but I'm pretty sure that stuff was but from Memphis. Right.
2: Okay. Um. In other news, um, the um, so get this. Okay, the magician who's set to be at the Clash was the same magician that um, Janet Jackson used for one of her music videos. Um, I'm not sure which video he's talking about. He doesn't say. But um, if there's a Janet Jackson video out there with a magician in it, it was the same one who played the Black Scorpion on The Clash. (laughs) Um, And now Meltzer has a little go of a joke, uh, which he does once in a while. Get this, okay? Anyway, says Meltzer, if they are now hiring magicians, why don't they ask... Uh, him to perform some real magic, like turn Sid Vicious into a wrestler. (laughs) Bada boom. He should stick to his day job, I think. (laughs) Uh, um, The the Michael Wall Street gimmick uh, was Tony Schiavone's idea, apparently. (laughs) But, um, uh, (laughs) this is actually an update on Evil Jim Heard's original idea of the Wall Street Warrior which was an idea he first had in 1988. Get this, okay? Heard wanted to give this gimmick to Sting in 1988. Uh, <laughs> um, but apparently uh, Tony has updated it with the computer, with the kind of computer bit as well. Um, the Renegade Warriors are out of the... or on their way out. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, In fact, I've got a little rant in my notes about them later on because I couldn't (laughs) fucking believe that they were on this show. Um, The company has decided to keep the juicer uh, art bar. uh, And then Meltz is really pissed off about this. He's like, um, he says that this is basically a double standard. Um, Namely, why wasn't Tully Blanchard brought back when Flair wanted him? He says. If everyone who did something technically illegal wasn't allowed to work in the profession, the only person left would be Bob Backlund. Um, so yeah, Meltzer just goes off on one about how like it's ridiculous that they're letting Art Barstay when um, Tully wasn't given a job for essentially failing a WWF drug test. Um, which is fair enough, I think. I think that's... I mean, he's right, isn't he? That, that is a double standard.
0: Yeah, and I don't know why they were so proprietary sir. It's not like they did anything with him. I,
2: I, I also think that um, Meltzer may be forgetting there, though, that Tully did have that contract signed. And he pulled out the final hour, didn't he? True. He wanted more money. Okay, uh, news is that the Russians for Starcade will be Viktor Zangief and Salam Hashimikov. Um, Meltzer says that this is the best case scenario because these guys have worked in Japan. I I know Victor Zangief in particular has a uh, big rep with the PWO guys. They like him, don't they?
0: Yeah, both of those guys are pretty good. Uh did some stuff with Hashimoto, especially like 1989, That is good stuff.
2: And uh Zangief of course, the um the inspiration for the Street Fighter 2 character Zangief. Um for all you uh gamers out there. You know who Zangief is, right, Chad?
0: Uh, no, I've never played oh. Street Fighter two in my life.
2: Oh, dear. Okay.
0: <laughs> I, think, uh, I think my age was right around where arcades were starting to become in passe. Like, I'm right at that age where some people would still play, like, Mortal Kombat and when Dance Dance Revolution or whatever came out there were still some arcades but it it was phasing out pretty big
2: in, in fact I mean on the subject I was a big uh, I I grew up by the um, the seaside and this town uh, that I'm sitting in now has got a big arcade like fun it had a fun fair here so th- there were lots of arcades obviously I uh, being a gamer I used to go quite a lot I uh, I used to go and play Wrestlefest um, you know the uh, awesome WF arcade game Right. Uh, I used to go DBRC, My friend used to go Hogan. We used to just put loads of money into that. Um, but I always remember uh, mentioning Victor Zangief and Street Fighter, and them working in Japan. Um, we had like I always had this perception that anybody from Japan was amazing at games. So like if ever there was a Japanese guy in the arcades, like people would like, gather around. and I always remember this guy playing Street Fighter, um, a Japanese guy. And he'd um, he crossed over his hands, like so. He'd he have his you know how you'd usually have your left hand on the joystick and have your right hand on the buttons. He had his his right hand on the joystick and the left hand on the buttons. <laughs> and honestly, I blew my mind. I thought like, oh, he's using some like avant-garde Japanese technique. <laughs> and he was he was he was really good actually as well. He like beat like six people in a row. Um, Anyway, let's move
0: so on. So, like in real life, Hogan beat your DiBiase. <laughs> video game.
2: No, uh, no that, that was on Street Fighter, though. Um, oh. No, it was good, it was good. Um, anyway, in other, in other news, Master Blaster Steel is currently on leave because he's got a part in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 movie. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe they actually gave him leave. <laughs> Super Shredder. Just get rid of him. Um, Brad Armstrong uh, seems to be in the doghouse because he jobbed six nights in a row for Ryan Sheik. (laughs) Who is still working for the company. I can't believe it. And this is the bit you were waiting for. Last bit of news I've got, Chad. Uh, Sam Muchnick has been offered $5,000 to appear at Starcade.
0: Uh, Well, I can at least accept that as a reasonable amount, I guess. Yeah,
2: and, you know, he's a very old man at this point, so it's nice that they're giving him that amount of money.
0: I was just hoping he wasn't demanding, like, $50,000, or you know, like a Ric Flair appearance nowadays. I think yeah. cash. But I, I, I do think, I
2: wouldn't underestimate the uh, name appeal of Sam Muchnick in St. Louis, even in
0: 1990. I don't know, though. $5,000, even if you say... Probably what was the average ticket to Starcade? Twenty bucks, maybe. Yeah, that's a lot of people that would have to come there for Sam to make it worthwhile. I mean, you're talking about 200 and 225 people that specifically buy a ticket just for Sam. Much Nick, I think that sounds a little extreme.
2: Okay. Um, well, if you are a listener from St. Louis. Who knows anybody of that generation of wrestling fan? Do you know anybody who went to Starcade just to see Sam Muchney?
0: Like present a trophy. I mean, you know, I mean, what's he going to do? Just present a trophy.
2: <laughs> oh, So you, you, your accountant's view of this is that they paid over the odds. Yeah,
0: I, think, uh, I think it's pretty tough to see a return on investment for this.
2: I wonder what Dick the Bruiser was getting for his appearance. Must have been uh, right there as well.
0: Yeah, I wonder that. Yeah.
2: Okay, well that that's it for Meltzer. Any final torch stuff?
0: The only uh, torch stuff was talking about Ollie being out and Dusty being in. So again, Meltzer had way more stuff than the torch this time. I don't know why. It,
2: I, I've got a feeling though that there's somebody, possibly Jr. Possibly J, there's somebody very close to the office who is clearly friends with Meltzer. Because he knows all of this stuff really early.
0: Well, Paulie's a good candidate, too. Paulie, yeah.
2: There's, some, yeah. there's somebody close close to the uh, situation there who knows all
0: of this stuff. I mean, shit, it may be Jim Hurd, considering he's given a torch talk, for God's sakes. Who knows?
2: It might be Jim uh, no, I wouldn't rule out uh, Jim Hurd. Although, given that is quite critical of him, it doesn't seem like it.
0: Right, right, I won't think so, but... First of all, Shivani don't you ever call me
1: microtunda again i have legally changed my name to michael wall street and with the money that i've inherited you should be calling me mr wall street do you understand Oh! Yeah, yeah. is this what it is the wall street crash by michael wall street what a victory that was an impressive victory for michael wall street at the clash of champions but the video that we're about to show you, I think, will will answer a lot of questions of what has happened to Mark Rotunda. Jim, this I really want to see, and I think the fans do also. Let's take a look at the video. How many times do I have to tell you people? Can't you get it? The meeting is almost over. Please be very quiet when you go in. We have a job to do here, and if you can't do the job, I'll find somebody that will. Now, is there any other questions? Yes, sir. We still have $2 million in the bank in Zurich. What do you want us to do about that? What do you think I want you to do with it? Do the right thing. Let it roll over. Is there anything else? Uh, yeah, Mr. Wall Street. uh, uh, Mr. Finkel called from New York. He wants us to give some money to a children's charity there. Listen, people. I am not interested in giving my money to some snotty-nosed brats. And let me inform you about something else around here. If you like the salaries, your overpaid salaries, I might add, that you're earning around here, you better start doing a better job. Now, this meeting's over. Get out of here. Mr. Wall Street, I have Mr. Harvey on your private line. You'll have to wait a minute. Yeah, Harvey. Good, good. I like that. This is what you do, Harvey. Buy at 48 and a quarter. When it hits 60, dump it in their laps. And listen, Harvey, no mistakes. One mistake and you'll be out bending pretzels on 48th Street. Do you understand me? Very good. Ms. York, please take notes. Recently, I have inherited a large sum of money. With this money, I have built a financial empire with the motto, Greed is Good. As you can see, Mike Rotunda was a great wrestler, a great champion. But now, you're looking at the new Michael Wall Street. With the help and assistance of Ms. York, I am telling you people, I will become the next world heavyweight champion. That is our goal. Ms. York? And this, this is our most ambitious project, right, Ms. York? Absolutely. With the money we've invested in technology and information, we have at our disposal a program for each and every WCW wrestler that will enable Mr. Wall Street to achieve victory Every time he steps into the ring. For instance, give me an opponent's name. Let's say Lex Luger. Be just a minute. It's perfect, Ms. York. Did you expect anything
2: else? <laughs> <laughs> Clash of the Champions 13, Thanksgiving Thunder, November the 20th, 1990, with the uh, Veteran Memorial Coliseum in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, Paulie Dangerously and Jim Ross are your hosts. Um, and they just say a few things. They shell that 900 number because Lex Luger is going to be on there with Soli and Russell. And um, they talk about the stipulation of the Doom versus Horseman match. If Doom win, um, Teddy Long wins Ric Flair's limo and his yacht. If the Horseman win, Long has to be their chauffeur for a day. uh, And they get a shot at the titles. Now, uh, yet again, what's your accountants Who's giving up more here? Flair... Or, um, or
0: Duke. <laughs> so, Flair, if, if Doom wins, Flair, uh, what does Flair give up? They The limo or no?
2: Yeah, the limo and his yacht.
0: Okay, so a yacht versus basically renting a driver for the day. Seems like a pretty good deal for Doom going in.
2: Yeah, and, and they get a shot at the belt. But um, <laughs> Meltzer actually rents about this as well. He says, um, they would basically been wrestling them around the horn for the belts for the past month. So a shot of the titles isn't really that much to win. Given yeah, the-
0: that's one of the things. Have you ever heard TNA does this? It's called a, uh, I don't even know what they call it, but basically it's a match where there's four briefcases. One, one briefcase has a world title shot. One briefcase has a tag title shot. One briefcase has a, uh, X-Division title shot, and then one briefcase, you actually get fired, and you, and you don't you don't know which one, you know, contains what, so you could be the first person to grab a briefcase, and it'd be the one that gives yourself fired, and to me, that rationale is so stupid, because, I mean, is it that hard to get a tag title shot in TNA? I mean, would you risk your career in no. TNA to, uh, for a tag title shot. I mean, how many wrestlers probably twenty, twenty-five have probably gotten a tag title shot this year on TV, but yet you're out there, you know, risking it all for it. It's so that, dumb.
2: That's probably the worst match concept I've ever heard. It's
0: so dumb. Every time they do it, it's so dumb. It doesn't make
2: sense. Stupid.
0: No, no. It's
2: although, although that would be one for IRS with all the briefcases involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He could use, He's very good at using the briefcase to his uh, yeah. advantage. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so the, our first match here. The Fabulous Freebirds, it, it was billed as a six-man tag. Between, Same as
0: Last Clash. Yeah. A uh, six-man tag that's not a six-man tag.
2: Fabulous Freebirds and Bobby Eaton with uh, Rocky King as the roadie. What, what are they calling him? Little...
0: Little Richard Marley.
2: <laughs> Little Richard Marley. Um, are taking on the Southern Boys um, and... Um, El Gigante, but, um, <laughs> in a weird moment, Gary Michael Capetta pauses, so he, he's introducing the freeboos and then he stops, as if he's just noticed Eaton on the ramp, and then, um, then introduces Eaton, which was really confusing, like, I don't know what, somebody just passed him a note or something, and then, uh, Hayes gets on the mic and notes that the giant is nowhere to be seen. He said, check the airport. With the biggest box marked Argentina on it, because they've sent him packing back to Argentina, and so the referee here makes a call here, and Eton is ejected, and they have to go back to the. He has to go back to the dressing room, and uh, Jim Ross says that this is good officiating. I call BS here.
0: <laughs> well, and then Paul Lee actually makes a brilliant analogy that Ross has no answer for. Because Polly says, Well, you know, you're big into football. If the quarterback doesn't show up, you still have to play the game which I that, thought was I know. technically true. I mean, yeah, that's that's the way it works.
2: Well anyway, the real story here from Meltzer is that he missed the plane and arrived late. Oh, I'll get my God. So um
0: <laughs> yeah. That... <laughs> so so instead of having the worker eaten, you know, basically gets a payday for walking down the ramp.
2: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, El, El Guilante, uh is not good at catching planes as well as not good at oh, wrestling. Good. So, anyway, uh, what did you make of this uh, opener, Chad?
0: Well, this is kind of the end of our little series that we've seen these two teams have. And this was probably my least favorite match of them. It only goes about five minutes. It's still fine. Uh, the Freebirds, again, they don't look quite as ridiculous because they don't have the suspender tights tonight, but they still look really bad. And this follows a very basic structure where the Southern boys get quick flash, deliver drop kicks to both the uh, Freebirds and Little Richard on the outside. And then the Freebirds take over with a haze left hand that sends Smothers to the guardrail. There's some decent work by the Freebirds, but again, because the match is so quick, there's not much of a focus. And then Garvin, for some reason, climbs to the top. He gets thrown off of there, and they head right to the finish. Uh, but but I will give uh, our boy Jimmy Jam some credit here because he takes the best seen him in forever when he gets backdropped onto the ramp. Yeah, no, true. And, and we might as well say this every match here utilizes the ramp. So if there's one decent thing they did on this show it's probably the best thing they did was make the ramp kind of a part of the show. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and Scott Armstrong, he follows with a cross body out on the outside to Garvin, but inside the ring, Hayes DDT smothers and picks up the wind as Armstrong is pounding away on Garvin. So this, I thought this was decent, uh, you know, for a five-minute pretty much full-on sprint, but the worst of the three matches that we've seen open each of the last three clashes.
2: Yeah, I, I think um, you're right. This is probably the best we've seen Garvin in a while, which isn't <laughs> saying much, really, but uh, I'll give the guy some du- some credit. I've been very hard on him. Um, this actually was the first match in a while that didn't suggest to me that he was totally done as a wrestler. Um I thought it, the clean uh, the pin seemed very clean to me. Um, I didn't actually see the trip, and then on the replay, the trip by uh, Rocky King was very weak, very weakened. Like I I feel like he missed his cue or something. Yeah. Um. But uh, basically, I I was sick of this match. I'm sick of this match by this point. I've, seen, I've I'm glad that it's it's over. At least they kept it short. Um. So, but this. Probably was one of the better matches on the show, which isn't saying a lot. <laughs> right. Um, Tony Schiavone's with Sting.
0: What oh, was the... Uh, do you have Meltzer's ratings?
2: Oh, yeah. Give me give me a second. Hold on. I need to pull I, it up.
0: I can say that uh, Keller gave that one two and a half stars. I'd probably be about two stars for that.
2: Really? Two stars?
0: Yeah. Yeah, two stars.
2: That seems very generous to me. i I won...
0: Oh, I did think I, I, these two teams. I don't know if I'd say I'm sick of them as a series. I I, I, I kind of oh god, I don't know if I'd clamor for a long freebird match, but uh, I, it does. It, I do like this series together, and I, I really like the Southern Boys as a tag team. I think they've kind of been lost in time, as they could have been a a really good kind of tag team from here to the Dangerous Alliance days.
2: I, unfortunately, I do not have the Meltzer ratings with me um, here. <laughs>
0: um,
2: sorry, I, 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 that's upset your dog. That I don't have the, is he like a real ratings mark?
0: <laughs> he is. He's a star rater.
2: <laughs> but um, no, I, I do remember that uh, Meltzer does give a particular match on this card, minus four stars. Um, but uh, I can't risk. Um, I'll have to give them with the show notes, Chad, because I'd have to go downstairs uh, which would risk blowing my cover as to what I'm doing here. <laughs> um, yeah, they're stuck on my desktop, and um, my desktop doesn't have internet on it, so I can't email it or anything to myself, which is a bit of a hazard. Um, anyway, uh, Tony Shivani's with Sting, and the Black Scorpion talks about, um, it gets on the kind of overhead, like on the sound system, and talks about his great powers of black magic, Um, I never got this, like, so both with this and later on with The Undertaker, when the sound system is used for something, that's basically saying wrestling is fake, isn't it? Uh,
0: Yeah, I think that's just one of them wrestling things that gets more ridiculous with, like, the theme music and everything else, where you know, if you have a big surprise, (laughs) you know, whoever makes their big debut, Brock Lesnar or Whoever I guess first has to clear it with the sound guy because they always have their music queued up or whatever before they walk out.
2: Yeah, I know. It's kind just, of one
0: of them wrestling things.
2: I I don't like that. I think they shouldn't. They shouldn't do it. Uh, they should book around it. You know, because it's uh, a cafe breaking basically. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean it can be. I, I guess I go back and forth. I mean, if you think about it from a logic standpoint, it's silly, but. Then you also have some great kind of iconic moments like in the, the Mick Foley title win when the glass shatters for Stone Cold's music, you know, when he comes out there, like you have that great pop that it gets, just the music.
2: Yeah.
0: So I guess I kind of go back and forth on that. I admit it's stupid, but it can result in like a great crowd reaction sometimes.
2: I'm, I'm still against it. I even, I'm even go as far as to say that I'm against it in that moment, even though it was a great moment. Um, like, Austin should have found another way to come out rather than have his music hit. Cause it's like, right. cause it's, it's basically saying this is scripted. You know? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, um, okay.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, unless, unless you, from a kayfabe sense, say there's like a boombox right outside the entrance ramp where you, Where the physically wrestler hits play or something to boost it out. You can't...
2: Yeah. Yeah. If if it was given an explanation, I'd accept it. Um, Absolutely. Or, like, you know, Gorilla's there, and he's, like, mates with Austin or something. (laughs) You know, in the Gorilla position. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, Buddy Landell uh, is taking on Brian Pillman now. And uh, I do have a bit of news from Meltzer here. He says that Pillman was subbing for the juicer here. Um, which begs the question, of course, why the hell wasn't Pillman booked? On the card, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's ridiculous. So they, they were actually booking the juicer ahead of Pillman at this point. Which is insane.
1: Oh,
0: okay.
2: God. Um, yeah, the only other thing I've got is that I thought Paulie's stuff on the Flare connection here was quite interesting. Um, as a note going in. Because um, he talked about how Um, Pillman is the only man to be uh, trained by Ric Flair. Which isn't true, because isn't Stan Lane trained by Ric Flair as well?
0: In some ways. Or he at least discovered him.
2: Yeah, well, he says that Pillman is the only man to be trained by Ric Flair. And that, obviously, Ric Flair is Buddy Landell's hero. Um,
0: Yeah, I thought that was odd. I I made a note of that, too.
2: It was just a a weird thing to be talking about. Um, I mean, it was quite neat that he mentioned it, but it was strange because it was seemed to because Flair's still active on the roster, so that was a bit weird. And,
0: and how and, much distance is there between Buddy Landell and Ric Flair's age? I mean, it's not like they're that far apart in age, I would think.
2: No, I mean, I I I still flat out don't understand Landell's deal. I, I I'll never understand why he used that gimmick. Because he—that's basically saying I'm—I'm I'm only ever going to be a shit version of somebody else.
0: Um, I guess, buddy. God, buddy's a lot younger than I thought he would be. He was little, He was born in 1962, so he was only 28 here. Wow. He, yeah. He, he looks, looks like he'd be a lot older than that.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what drugs can do to you. Kids. <laughs> well, <that's true>. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you make of this match, uh, Chad?
0: Uh, well, I do think this is the best Buddy has looked in this little run. And, uh, 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 I mean, I think that part of that's probably Pillman helping him out. But this was a very uh, kind of fun match, again, where we, we get a, a hot start. Pillman's able to utilize the ramp with a clothesline to the ramp. He goes for a pile driver out on the ramp, but uh, Buddy blocks that and then sends Pillman into the railing. Uh, But then Pillman does this really cool crossbody where he leaps onto the middle rope and then does the the kind of a reverse crossbody onto Buddy on the floor. Uh, They get back in, and Buddy's able to cut him off and starts working over the back. And we get some decent, probably overall on this show, actually, the best body control work uh, that Landell does on Pillman's back. He does a backbreaker. Yeah. And then a pretty pretty basic generic comeback where Pillman fires back a little bit and wins with a high cross body. So, again, this was a fun sprint, another match that wasn't very long, but it was refreshing to see first Pillman get a win and Buddy to look pretty competent.
2: Yeah, and um, Meltzer actually, I, I remember, said in his review of this match that this is the best Landell has looked in a big match since coming back, and it's definitely the best Landell that we've seen. Um, he uh, he gave it three and a half stars. From memory, I know. What did Keller give that much?
0: Keller gave it three and a quarter. I am uh, myself. I'm lower than that. I gave it two and a half. But uh, I mean, that's gonna sound like high praise when we go through this show. So.
2: Well, I um I thought this was really good back and forth action. I I actually liked the way that Landell kept cutting off Pillman before he could get anything mm-hmm. going. Um. Yeah. And then uh, Pilmer would cut Landell off before he ever came close to hitting a high spot. So it was really like kind of neither of them could get anyth- anything going, really, without getting cut off. Um, so we get one big high spot, apart from that stuff, that Pilmer, from Landell's point of view. He hits that backbreaker from the crossbody, which was one big counter that he did. Um, and for me, the way this was structured and the way it was worked, this was a perfect JTTS match, in my view, Um you know, for what it was designed to do. Uh, You know, Landell presented a moderate challenge for Pillman to overcome. So the match did its job. I think that Landell was a perfect kind of moderate ch- challenge for Pillman to beat. So, yeah, good. I, I enjoyed this match. Yeah. Um. Yeah, three and a half seems a bit generous to me. Three, maybe. Uh, yeah what it
0: was. How long let me see if I have times on this one? About five minutes? Uh, yeah, five fifty two. So it was very short.
2: Yeah, three and a half is a bit overboard. Um next match. Big Cat, The Big Cat. Uh later on in his career, Mr. Hughes, of course. Um, if you can picture that person. Uh When did he – I want to say that he is out of wrestling by like the mid-90s. So maybe some younger listeners won't even know who he is. Big Cat?
0: Yeah, he's actually – well, I mean, he does his WWF kind of thing in 1997. He eventually gets replaced by China. So that's probably his last mainstream thing. Right. But then he also uh, has actually become a trainer here in Georgia and has uh, trained some uh, indie wrestlers that have gone on to be pretty big names on the indie scene, such as uh, A.R. Fox is one of his bigger ones. So he's still kicking it. Great.
2: Okay. Um, Meltzer mentions uh, in his notes that Curtis was a flop uh, in college football, despite being billed as a big football star here. Um, which, um, believe it or not, like, in my mind, Big Cat was actually like a pro footballer before he became, you know, like a football star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that, that, that's because I've been brainwashed by JR all, yeah. all these years. <laughs> like, I always thought, you know, like, the may have had an NFL career or something. Apparently, he was done, like, by the time he finished high school. <laughs> he, he was, no, he was apparently he was a high school All American. Uh, does that mean anything to you? High school All American.
0: High school All American. Yeah. Uh, usually with high school, I mean, I know every state's different, but usually with high school football, it's just like we have like a. It's called a Super Eleven. So basically, the best pers- best eleven high school players are, um, you know, deemed the Super Eleven, and then I know. And, uh, for instance, Chris Sims, I know when he came to college, he was, you know, Mr. It's a, it's usually Mr. and then the state name is for the best uh, high school football player and basketball player. Right. Like Larry Bird was Mr. Basketball in Indiana before he went to Indiana State, so.
2: I see. Well, maybe the big cat was Mr. Football somewhere. Uh, we got a, we get a big uh, we get a promo from Big Cat now he says uh, and he's got his sights on next Luga. Luga, you're the main course of the meal baby he says <laughs> and um Uh Paul E on commentary can you imagine having to spend Thanksgiving in Atlanta Georgia I wouldn't brag about that if I was you did that make you angry Chad <laughs> um
0: I mean whatever floats your boat I don't know <laughs>
2: Have you ever spent Thanksgiving in Atlanta?
0: Not actually in the city of Atlanta, no. <laughs> um,
2: so, uh, what happened in this match? This is uh, it, it was interesting to see the way that Landau was positioned in that previous match and the way that Armstrong was being positioned here.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's... I still look really odd, Consider I'm used to him wearing his dress shirt and pants. Uh, get up... And then I also wanted to commend Paul e on bringing up Armstrong's upset against J.W. Storm. I thought that was a good bit of continuity. Uh, Big Cat's three backbreakers that he did in succession in this match looked pretty vicious. Armstrong kind of fires back again, but then Big Cat locks on the torture rack and the referee stops the match. But then you kind of get this odd thing where Ross sort of refuses to say that Armstrong gave up and, Paulie's <laughs> claiming he did so. So it's almost like Armstrong gets his heat back, which I don't know why they were so intent on you know building up Armstrong to still be credible. I mean, I like Brad Armstrong, but I think we could have had a straight squash here, and he could have submitted, and everything would have been okay from the big cat standpoint.
2: If Ross was getting irate, He will never quit. <laughs> Armstrong does not submit. <laughs> Why was he... Ge- I mean, that was really weird, wasn't it? And uh, P- Paul was, like, keeping on. He definitely gave up. It was, like, odd. Um, I thought Big Cat looked pretty good here. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? Meltzer hates him. <laughs> I mean, in this
0: three minutes that we got in this match, I thought he looked fine.
2: Yeah, I mean, he he's looked better than Al Guilante's looked. Oh, yeah. He looked better. Well, than
0: even, you- even better than... You know, as we'll get to the uh, Motor City Madman or, uh, up to this point, either one of the Master Blasters. So. Yeah. No,
2: I, I think he looks confident. Like a kind of, I don't know, a little bit big, big boss man I want to say. I guess, in a way. Like a, like a poor man's big boss man, maybe. <laughs> Did those two ever feud? I want to say that Mr. Hughes and Bossman had a feud at one point. Maybe when he was like the guardian angel. In
0: 93. Yeah, that, that may be an Then Hughes, this is getting really dated, but I do remember like Hughes being a uh, part of Colonel Robert Parker's little stable, like in 94. So he, he probably fought Bossman at some point.
2: Dick the Bruiser is going to be at Starcade and he claims to be the toughest man in the world. We get a little promo from Bruiser. Kind of fluffed his lines a bit, didn't he?
0: Well, that and also buried current talent by proclaiming himself the toughest man in the world.
2: Oh, yeah, you're right. He did uh, bury current talent. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, so from a, one of the biggest names in the business now, uh, Dick the Bruiser, to another massive name in the business, Primetime Brian Lee. <laughs>
0: yes, and ta- I did not remember this at all.
2: And he's taking on the Z Man. And I've written in my notes here, Chad, this is a fucking disgrace. Man is taking on a jobber. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I thought Zenk was meant to be taking squashes now. He's being re-pushed.
0: Yeah. Well, as we get to the top ten, he uh, makes an appearance there. And they keep on going
2: on about him being on a great winning streak at the moment.
0: <laughs> yes, they do.
2: Oh, God. <laughs> it, Lee, of course, will go on to be the fake Undertaker. Um, And, uh... I want to say he did something else, like in his kind of ECW sort of time, like after the Undertaker, he had like another kind of crappy kind of late mid 8 late his career. Uh, yeah, he has a uh,
0: yeah, he actually has a, a kind of interesting history to track a little bit because you have him in USWA, which is around this time where he's hanging out with uh, the aforementioned Colonel Robert Parker, Robert Fuller. Uh, he's, he's tag-teaming with him, and then they end up feuding. And then in Smoky Mountain, he ends up having a uh, pretty good run, lengthy run, and I think he was actually the best there as uh, a competent kind of heel there. And then he was the fake undertaker, and then he did have his ECW thing where there's the famous spot of him falling off the scaffold through the tables, Mm. That used to play on all the ECW clips. I think Tommy Dreamers in that match that throws him off. Uh, and then he was also in the Disciple of Apocalypse
1: in oh, the, great, yeah, yeah. Uh, the
0: great gang wars feud in 1997 WWF. So really kind of transpassed all the, uh, big promotions at the time from now to 1997. I'm not sure if he ever shows up again on one of our shows. So this may be it for him, one and done.
2: Wasn't he part of Raven's flock or something at
0: some point? Uh, <sighs> he, he, he seems like he would be. Yeah, I don't think he is. I don't think he is, though. Because no? I know he's not Reese, that big guy that's in Raven's flock. I don't remember him there. Okay.
2: I've I, I got a funny feeling that he... He's like hanging out with Bri- um, Brian Adams, and uh, you know that's crush, isn't it, Brian Adams? Um, okay, like okay. Uh, well, I'm sure if we if we see Brian Lee again, I'll be surprised. Um,
0: yeah, me too.
2: He uh, he gets beaten in three minutes here by Tom Zink with a missile drop kick, which is pretty annoying. But yeah, get over and the- this
0: supposedly was a tryout match for Brian Lee, so I guess he didn't make too good of an impression. Uh, th- this match has some awkward spots where Lee and Zink, whoever, I guess Lee got blamed for it, but they're way out of position. So there's a good bit of awkwardness in this match. It's not good at all.
2: I don't like Tom Zink. Um, I don't I-
0: know many that do.
2: Yeah, uh, he's kind of like, I want to say he's like a, a slightly richer man's Paul Roma. Paul, uh, Zenk. Do you think that's being too harsh on him?
0: Uh, I think that may actually be too harsh on Paul Roma based on his <laughs> 1993 tag work.
2: <laughs> okay. Um. Alright, so uh, in one of the highlights of this show, um, as we go to the break... Michael Wall Street and Alexandra York uh, are on screen. And York says, I see no way we can lose. And Wall Street says, and you can take that all the way to the bank. And then we go into break and then we come back from break. <laughs> Tony Schiavone is with his creation, as we found out. Michael Wall Street uh, with Alexandra York. Um Now, Shivani says, I'm standing here with a very dapper Mike Rotunda, who then gets really angry and grabs the mic. First of all, Tony Shivani, don't ever call me Mike Rotunda again. I've changed my name legally to Michael Wall Street. And with the money I've inherited, you should be calling me Mr. Wall Street. Um, They explain that York uh, is his administrative assistant, so not a valet or a manager, but an assistant. Uh, in the employ of Wall Street. She takes care of his computers. Uh, York has studied the information on the system about this uh, upcoming opponent, and um, this opponent is going to feel the Wall Street crash tonight. (laughs) What did he make of all of
0: this? (laughs) Well, I I knew this was right up the uh, par Valley. Uh, (laughs) But before we get to this, I wanted to mention, I just was scrolling through my notes, and I forgot to mention this, and this was so dumb. For anybody that wants to torture themselves and watch this show, keep a lookout for this. But in the zinc match uh, early earlier that we talked about, he does this one spot where uh, Lee is on the completely opposite turnbuckle, and he goes to the top rope, and and Lee still like on that opposite turnbuckle, so he's diagonal from him on the ring, and Zinc still just like dives and wipes out. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, he just is so stupid. Like, I don't, like, what could he possibly be diving for? I don't, I don't know who was out of position there, but it, but it, when I watched it, it was honestly one of the dumbest looking spots I've ever seen. Uh, it, in the match, it was so stupid where Lee just, like, is looking at Zinc on top of the turnbuckle opposite from him. He doesn't move an inch and then Zink just dies, goes about halfway across the ring, and that, then, you know, takes the bump. That's got to be Zink's fault, isn't it? I, like, I would think Zink should have just, like, maybe, you know, jumped down and rushed him or, uh, I don't know, an audible or something, because it just made him look like a complete idiot. Uh, Keller gave that match a star, by the way. But, yeah, this whole Michael Wall Street, uh, I, I mean, I thought, face rotunda that we were seeing wasn't the worst thing in the world so I don't know why they were so I mean I'm, I know I know you're a big fan of the way he portrays this gimmick and there's a lot of IRS kind of <laughs> undertones here with this whole <laughs> my legal name stuff but <laughs> I, I, I still say Terry Taylor was a much better fit kind of for the overall York Foundation thing
2: <laughs> what, what i think is is that i think any character where rotunda's natural nerdiness comes through um because he's got that kind of whiny voices isn't he um, yes yes and, he
0: does have that
2: and, and so this idea like i do actually think it's quite genius york is literally putting the stats through i mean you, this should be right up your street as well chad he <laughs> they're literally trying to statistically work out you know I don't know what's meant to be on this printout, but they, they put the information through the system and uh, get a printout on his opponents and then they keep on going to the, going to the printout. Um, you know, it's kind of money ball, like 10, uh, 30, how, 23 years. Is this 23 years ago? Shit. Yeah, 20. Christ. <laughs> oh man. Um, 23 years before. Like uh moneyball and whatnot, we've got Alexandra York working out the statistics.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, I mean baseball saber metrics were at still a, a pretty, pretty age at this point in 1990, and there was a lot of front offices that would outright you know kind of roll their eyes at the data. So it is kind of a progressive gimmick from that standpoint. And like I said, as we get to Taylor, uh being the front guy of the gimmick. I actually become a pretty good fan of it and then when you actually see the computer being used more. Uh so we're still in the pretty primitive days of the gimmick right here.
2: Well his opponent Wall Street's opponent here. Oh god. Uh, is uh Star Blazer. Who the hell is this guy? Tim Horner.
0: Is Tim Horner? Yes. Oh Um all oh, right, now I'm wondering if it was supposed to be Owen Hart. That was a thought that crossed my mind. Ah, um, the Blue Blazer, Star Blazer. I don't, I don't know, but, but it's Tim Horner under the mask, which uh, makes me wonder again why they didn't just have this as uh, VK Wall Street versus Tim Horner. So.
2: Oh, all right. Um, well, I thought it was m- another guy. Called Mike Kyle, Chad, a career jobber, who wrestled as in- Star Blazer. Yes, M- Mark Kyle. Uh, he'd worked in Southern States, Smoky Mountain, uh, World Championship Wrestling. Made his debut
0: in 1988. Now was this Meltzer or? Uh, how how do we get to that? Because I'm almost positive it's Tim Horner here.
2: Oh. Okay, well, if anybody, uh, if anybody, cause, um, Meltzer, Meltzer didn't have this, um, but he, I mean, Meltzer didn't say who it was, um, but I know he'd wrestled a Starblazer earlier in the year, um, it says on his Wikipedia page, July 1990, he worked, uh, a Starblazer on NWA Worldwide against the Southern Boys.
0: Okay, well, I guess if we can have a confirmation, whether. Yeah which one this is, if anybody but, knows.
2: So Meltzer in his notes seems to say that he thinks Starblazer is a pretty good worker. And I just don't think he'd say that about Tim Horner. <laughs> oh. So, so that, that's what, that's what made me think it was the other guy, but maybe you're right. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> they keep on hyping that the Michael Wall Street story is airing on worldwide this weekend. You seen that?
0: Yes, I did. Uh, I did see that. Uh, uh, well, I haven't seen the footage thankfully, but I did hear them hype it up. So. <laughs>
2: um, JR says that um so Paulie goes on about something now and uh JR says that Paulie is basically still living at home with his uh with his parents and that he never spends any money. <laughs> um, Wall Street has this uh he's got this computer printout of Starblazer, and uh, he doesn't want the camera seeing uh what's on the printout. <laughs> Um Paulie is happy that Wall Street is now hailing from Manhattan. It's good to have another New Yorker in uh, in the promotion with him, he says. Um Wall Street as the as the match starts complains about the standard of competition here. And uh, well, does he speak too soon is the question because he, he felt like he made very hard work of this squash.
0: <laughs> yeah, this uh I wasn't enamored with this uh, match at all it's pretty generic action goes four minutes i think but it feels a lot longer than that kind of back and forth again one of the biggest problems i have with uh wall street I, i mean i like the irs vignettes and i like him as a character but i just feel like when he gets in the ring between the ropes like most of the stuff he does just feels so generic And uh, I felt that way here, where we have the ab stretch, where he uses the ropes for leverage. It just feels like every basic kind of heel on an indie show tactics gets used by him. And then they do some roll reversals, uh, roll up reversals with each other. And Wall Street ends up winning as a Samoan drop, and I can't, I can't wait to hear you defend, which I know you will this, as a credible finisher, <laughs> just because he's your boy. But uh, that's that's a pretty, I know you've railed against the Thez Press as a finisher before, the Samoan drop's got to be pretty much up there.
2: <laughs> um, well, I actually noticed it down as a fallaway slam. The oh, come crash. on. <laughs> it's a it's fallaway not, slam, isn't it? It is not
0: a fallaway <laughs> slam.
2: Is this the same move that Tatanka... I mean, didn't Tatanka use this as a finisher <laughs> as well?
0: That does not make it any better.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've written in my notes here, the abdominal stretch gets boring Chance, unappreciative Philistine fans who don't understand Matt work. <laughs> oh, yeah. <God>. That <laughs> now I can't- so bad. I can't really defend this um, match very much. I do think that um, Starblazer looked pretty good, though, uh, which, uh, if it was Tim Horner, surprises me a little bit. Um, I thought he'd, like, Wall Street seemed to really be struggling to beat this jobber. Did,
0: didn't yeah, they, s- were giving, uh, they were giving him some flash spots, like with the role reversals, and he kind of at one point reversed the Boston Crab. And, uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, I thought that like, really, given that this was more or less his debut with this gimmick on a big show, why didn't they just put him over, like, why was he making such difficult work of it? Um, because it also made his printout seem crap. Like, what, Wall Street is, can't even
0: beat, like, he's got his sights on the world title and he's struggling to beat Blazer. Yeah, now that, that's one problem that you may encounter with the gimmick is, I mean, if you just saw someone with the name star blazer and the way he was acting your, your strategy should be to kind of ground his attack, work on a leg, do something like that. So it does kind of make his printout seem a little suspect there.
2: Um, The the other thing, Jr. During this match, lots of uh, cheesy puns by him. He talked about a hostile tech. Wall Street is enacting a hostile takeover of WCW. Um, And then he says his stocks almost dropped at another time. Uh, we're getting really bad with these puns, so. <laughs> anyway, our old friend now, Gordon Soley, um, is back, and he's uh, shilling the wrestling wrap-up magazine. Um, and he's got for us, though, the WCW Top 10. Uh, I always like to go through these, Chad, uh, because I think it gives us a good idea of where the promotion is. Um We'll just wait till you listen to this tag team top ten. Oh,
0: I, I'm I'm looking at it as we speak. I wrote it down.
2: Number ten: Norman the Lunatic and the Juicer. <laughs> Number nine: Big Cat and Motor City Madman. Eight: Tim Horner and Candyman. Five: at Seven: The Master Blasters. Six: Southern Boys. Then we have Ricky Morton and Tommy Rich. Four, Fabulous Freebirds. Three, Nasty Boys. Two, Flare and Arn. One, the Steiners. And then Doom. So, there's a lot of really bad guys in that list. Like, not just kind of bad, basically job guys
0: are making the top ten here. Um, uh, Yep, yeah, but I will say though, I mean, one thing about the top ten on the tag team side is if you include Doom, there's 11 teams listed. So I do think, like, and this and this is certainly a top-heavy list where the top looks pretty good and the bottom looks dreadful, but I do think now, like, if you did a current-day WWE tag team top 10, I think you would see the same thing once you got down to, like, nine. Like, I don't know who would be the 11th best tag team in WWE currently.
2: But th- th- this does highlight a particular problem I've got with the WCW roster at this time. There are just too many shitty green no-names on the roster. Like, who are all these guys? M- like, wh- where are these guys coming from? Motor City Madman. Like, what the... F- like- oh, he's coming from the Motor
0: City. <laughs> oh,
2: I-, I just don't understand why there are all the Like, how are these guys getting jobs when there are still people out there? I'd rather Ryan Sheik. Honestly, I, I think...
0: I mean, no, I don't
2: know about that. I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather guys like Paul Orndorf, or Ryan Sheik to these yeah, guys. Yeah,
0: Paul Orndorff, certainly.
2: Anyway, and, and they did have Sheik on the roster. I mean, stick
0: him in a tag team with uh, somebody, you know? Orndorf and Bobby Eaton could have been a fun tag team. Yeah. All right, well, the, the,
2: the singles top ten now. Uh, number ten, Bobby Eaton. Number nine, Z-Man. Hold on, Chad. I'm getting a lot of echo. Should I try that again? Yep. Am I
0: echoing for you? Uh, It sounds fine on my end, but...
2: All right. Number ten, Bobby Eaton. Number nine, Z-Man. Breaks my heart to see him above anyone. Number eight... Michael Wall Street, number I seven. wish he'd have
0: been ahead of Wall Street so bad. <laughs> number,
2: number seven, Fly-In Brian. Number six, Terry Taylor. Very high for him. Number five, Arn Anderson. Number four, Ric Flair. Number three, Lex Luger. Number two, Sid. Number one, U.S. champion Stan Hansen. And the champion, of course, is Sting. So a stronger-looking sign- singles lineup there. I think right. you'd agree.
0: Sure. Yeah.
2: Now coming up is the African qualifying match for the Pat O'Connor Memorial Tournament. Um, ridiculous that, that, <laughs> that this is going to be on the, the African final qualifying match. Um, like, couldn't they have made it the U.S. qualifying one to give us a match that anybody would care about seeing? Or like, I don't know. The Japanese one would probably be easier to put together.
0: Even the uh, Mexican one,
2: too. Or the Mexican one. Anyway, um, we get a special feature now on the Memorial Tournament. We get a clip of O'Connor versus Buddy Rogers. And uh, we're told that the Steiners are representing the USA and they're number one seeds for the tournament. And that representing Japan, are the Great Muta and Mr. Saito, uh, seeded number two. And this uh, tournament's happening in St. Louis, of course. Um, And I did actually think that if you were to pick Japanese guys who are over in the USA, I don't think they. I don't think you could do much better than those two, Mr. Saito and Great Muta are the two biggest Japanese stars in the USA for this time uh, period. Would you agree? Yeah,
0: probably. Uh, well, you got Anoki too.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know how. Like, do you think Anoki was over and bigger? That scorer? was
0: that was part me trolling part being serious. I have no I think for the time period nineteen ninety. Uh those are probably your two best candidates actually. Yeah. Okay. Um so now they did say this was the first tag team tournament in the universe. <laughs> so uh, yes, right. yeah, so apparently the uh the real world tag league doesn't exist in this universe. <laughs>
2: um the African final, no uh, the final qualifying match. That actually suggests there were lots of qualifying matches, which I think is really amusing, <laughs> considering who is in this final. Yeah. Sergeant Kruger and Colonel De Clerc. Uh, Matt Osborne is Kruger. Rocco Rock is De Clerc, right?
0: Yes. Ted Petty.
2: Ted Petty. And uh, he's got some fans, has not he? Uh, yeah,
0: he was working as a cheetah kid on the indie circuit around this time, so uh, he may have had, like, a smattering of a following. And he's taking on the
2: Botswana Beast, who's uh, also known as Camilla 2, and somebody called Kalua.
0: Kalua, who I have no idea. I have no clue who this
2: was. Now, I couldn't... Meltzer didn't know. The internet gave me no information. Uh... Anybody know who this chap is? Let us know because no information at all on Kalua, but apparently he's the fourth best person that Afri- the entire continent of Africa could uh, offer us here. <laughs> um, so what the hell is going on? Like, how is this on? How is this on TV? Like, um, at one point. Paulie uh, asks, "Is that a weave or is it his natural hair?" About uh, the Botswana beast, which is pretty, nuts, which is pretty much a burial. Um, I didn't think it was that. I mean, Malta gave it something like minus one. I think that's a bit harsh, but it was a totally kind of what the fuck. Like, I, I actually thought that the South African team did some cool, cool moves doing this.
0: Uh, I mean, no. um, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Keller gave it a dud. Uh, Pet, I mean, Petty did some high-flying here. So the basic structure, if there was that, because, again, this was another match that went five minutes, was, uh, basically the Botswana Beast was getting him off his feet. They kind of put him over as the the big stalwart of the uh, their team. And so you kind of have, uh... Petty trying to get some high flying moves and knocks he eventually knocks the beast down, which is pretty good. Uh but but the weird thing about this match is another match where it felt like none of the guys were on the same page because there was many times in this match where you had just random kind of punches mate thrown that would hit like the side or the chest yeah. or like like really awkward positions and people would just no sell it and Everybody looked out of position. Uh, so it was a pretty, pretty, uh, shoddy kind of race to the finish in this match. And then the finish is, uh, where Petty is on top of the beast, uh, you know, about to get power slammed or slammed down. And he actually gets drop kicked by his own partner. Uh, is he the clerk or, I don't, I don't know. I, he basically by Doink the clown gets drop kicked and then, uh, He ends up pinning the beach for the pin for his team. So I I thought, I mean, the crowd could not care one bit for this. Uh, It was a waste of time. It was pretty bad. I I mean, I gave it a half star, so I didn't think much of it.
2: I I will say the booking for this is atrocious. Whoever booked this deserves to be fired on the spot. Fucking simply atrocious. I mean, who, who thought to put the African qualifying match on here? I, I can understand the like giving the illusion of like a really deep tournament that meant something all around the world, which is what this was was designed to do, but like at least have some people that anybody care you know i don't know these are just nobody had a clue who any of these guys were right
0: right yeah,
2: I mean even the commentators said which one is Kruger and which one is de Clerc, they had no idea. <laughs> So I mean when the commentators don't know who they are, what what hope have the fans got? It's terrible. Anyway, I uh in a holy shit moment, Sam Muchnik appears on air. And he and he asks all wrestling fans to join him at the Keel Auditorium for the Pat O'Connor Memorial Tournament. And um one funny little thing, um that um is that did you hear, um Pat O'Connor he was the person who booked the original tournament for the Missouri State title, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the funny things about that is that the tournament made no sense. It went on for months and months and months. Guys who had already lost were in it. You know, it was like, you know, guys who had lost three times were still somehow in. Like it just made no sense. They had no brackets. It was just like this tournament that went on forever, and eventually Sam Muchnick um, was like, "Right, we have to end this tournament tonight." So I think just like had a random final for it one night. And I think, um, Harley Race won it in the end. Um, and uh, I did like that in a weird way, this tournament was a tribute to him. And that <laughs> random qualify, this random qualifying match was kind of what Pat O'Connor would have wanted. Right. <laughs> Cause it just made absolutely no sense. Anyway, um, we get a recap of the Hanson versus Luger food. Um, and Luger. Uh, is taking on the Motor City Madman tonight, who was discovered by Paulie dangerously in a, in a pool hall. And we actually get a shot now of Paulie with the Motor City Madman in a pool, next to a pool table. And, uh, he says, and I don't know if they were trying to get this over as a, as a catchphrase for him. Conversation over. Consider it done. Absolutely atrocious. Awful. What do you think of Motor City Madman's kind of debut vignette?
0: Yeah, man? he is, uh, well, it's, it's a very short-lived reign for the uh, Motor City Madman, and you can see why, based off of this vignette and this in-ring action, because uh, now, actually, uh, as soon as Luger comes out, him and the Big Cat getting a pretty good brawl on the ramp. Yeah, but Big Cat
2: interrupts interrupts his pro- his promo, essentially. He says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then Luger socks him. Uh, poorly calls it a cheap shot. And um, that seems like he's going to piss off Big Cat. And uh, he says, Luger, baby, you just made a big mistake. And then we get straight into this match. Motor City Madman taking on Luger. Conversation over. Consider it done.
0: <laughs> so this is a, a match that only goes three minutes, and it's very quick back-and-forth action with short burst of offense from both men. Uh, Madman takes one of the worst suplexes I've ever seen when he gets suplexed back into the ring.
2: It's a tra- uh, It's really bad. One yeah, Le-
0: Lex essentially had to deadlift this poor guy over the rope to get him over. Uh, Madman went up absolutely not one bit on this suplex. It is awful i don't know if he was blown up or what but it is very bad uh legs again goes for the elbow which is becoming one of the dumber spots in his repertoire because he always seems to miss that high elbow yeah uh, so that was getting a little annoying for me just in watching a lot of his matches lately um it's like why do you keep going for that uh but then you know and like 20 seconds later, he wins with, I guess, a forearm smash. I couldn't really tell if they wanted that or... uh, Clothesline. Or a clothesline. Like, it was kind of in between. It didn't look good at all. So this is not a good utilization of Lex Luger at all.
2: I've written in my notes here, Chad. I think there are too many of these no-name guys on the roster at the moment, and there's no way that Luger should be in there with a piece of shit like that. It's literally beneath him.
0: Yeah, yeah, this was very bad. Uh, Even... I mean, if they'd have done Luger versus Big Cat here, if they'd have built Big Cat up, or even I could have even went for kind of a schmazz finish uh, over what we got.
2: I I actually think this is a real problem with the booking. You shouldn't put Lex Luger in this position. It makes everybody look bad. Like, he shouldn't be in the ring with this obvious low-card job, rubbish crap wrestler. Like, WF did that really well. You'd never see Hogan in the ring with somebody like this. It, it just wouldn't happen. So, uh yeah, this is a real mistake, I think, for, for all sorts of reasons. Um, do you agree with that? I mean, there should be a real sense of hierarchy, I think, in com- like something they do really well in Japan, uh you know, where, like, you, you get guys like, J- I mean, Jumbo just behaves in such a way when he's facing guys who are lower down in the card than him. He actually behaves in such a way as, like, are you even daring to touch me? Yeah. And I really love that about the way that they work in Japan.
0: Yeah, I mean, for Luger to be up against this level of competition, when hypothetically this should have been one of the probably 10 most important shows for WCW in this calendar year since it's a Clash of Champions show, it feels like a big waste. I mean, this is a match that you could throw out on, like, a split squad house show in a lower-level town, but it's certainly not a match that's the level of uh, a Clash of the Champions match.
2: Yeah, really bad. Um, anyway, uh, I think uh, Meltzer gave that a minus rating as well. He had a lot of minuses in this show. Um, I can't and remember. he what... got
0: a dud, another dud from Keller.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I can't disagree. Um, I, I also will say that Big Cat really ineffectual run-in from him at the start of this. Like, he he, he ran in, but Luger, Luger got the best of it. <laughs> Do you notice that?
0: Yeah, that was actually my favorite part of this, though, was the uh, little brawl they had. I, th- I think that was a highlight. But, yeah, he uh, he kind of got actually pushed away by the officials, which didn't make him look good. But this this was bad.
2: But Paulie really annoyed me on commentary as well, because he kept on doing that Tweety Bird thing. I thought I saw a Puddy cat. Yeah. How, he's so annoying. Like, I know he's meant to be annoying, <laughs> but... I, like, uh, Paulie was really starting to get on my nerves during that Yeah,
0: uh, I, think, I think this is Paulie clowning. I mean, I, he knew this was just straight shit, so... Tony Schiavone's
2: with head referee Nick Patrick. Oh, God. Who mentions that they had a lot of problems with the Steiners recently, trying to end the careers of the Nasty Boys. Talk about uh, telegraphing. (laughs) And now, uh, and this is the bit where I really got angry, the Renegade Warriors were announced. (laughs) And I've just said, what? Why weren't they immediately fired? I can't believe that these guys actually had a run. Like, it wasn't just a, like, they've actually been on two shows in a row now. Um, And uh, they're taking on the Nasty Boys. In one of the stranger moments of commentary of all time, JR promises to give up commentating if the Nasties beat the Steiners.
0: (laughs) And poorly wants to hold him to it. (laughs) Um, What did you make of this match? The announcers were really annoying during this match. They were just constantly arguing, not in the kind of fun back-and-forth uh tone that you might have from some of like the bobby jesse and vince commentary teams just really grading back and forth and then the uh the action was very uninspired renegade warriors work on the arm a little bit uh Saz takes over throws i don't even know which one but throws one of them over the top rope uh, nobs puts them in the rail and then almost immediately the Steiners come out to uh, attack the nasties causing a DQ. so the renegade warriors look like idiots because they just let the Steiners bail them out. Uh, I, I don't know what to say about this it's it's dumb, stupid pointless it was awful.
2: <sighs> um, well actually I am the high boat on this match. Oh God. This is, I thought that while it lasted, the nasties actually had some good focus work on the arm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they followed, they kept on clubbing on the arm. Um, there was a good arm drop. Uh, poorly shouted, he DDT'd his arm at one point. Um, so I actually thought this, and they were sufficiently brutal. I thought this was pretty decent psychology from them. Uh, they, they, and they followed, they had a shoulder breaker, and then the Steiners uh, ran out, and the nasties ran away. And um, as you said, I, I thought the uh, young bloods l- would look left in the ring, looking like chumps at the end of this. Cause it's yeah, like the they kind of just stand in there. Yeah, they look pathetic. But uh, up until that point, I thought it was a reasonably good Southern Tag Match. Like you know, I'd give it a star and a half or something like that.
0: Uh, I'm probably at a star. I mean, it goes four minutes, so it's so tough to judge, you know? I mean, there's just not much could. The longest match so far has been, what, seven minutes? Yeah. So this show is just it's it's an atrocity. Like, I, I don't know. I'm getting more depressed the more we talk about it. Like, the show, uh, from start to finish lengthwise, is only an hour and 50 minutes, but it it really like, yesterday was a great day for me watching wrestling. I watched some super matches from this year a lot of great lucha matches and then a couple of uh, wwe matches this year and you know watched like three near five star matches right in, right in a row so i was very pumped up and then i watched this show and even at an hour and 50 minutes like i kept constantly trying to like i had to literally restrain myself from checking facebook or just fiddling on my phone or doing something it was so bad
2: jr would not be happy with you chad no because he, uh, he has a little rant about that on that Cornette show. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he's talking about um, a, uh, a match built around the hammerlock. Terry Taylor versus Ric Flair, uh, based around the hammerlock. And he's like, sit down and watch that for 50 minutes. Don't play on your phone. Don't go on your iPads. Watch that match. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, just as things... Can't get any worse, we think. It's the Night Stalker taking on yeah. Sid. Uh, the Night Stalker is billed with Ox Baker. Uh, Baker is a is the trainer of the Night Stalker, apparently. Um, <laughs> and the commentators say that he has such belief in the Night Stalker that he says that he doesn't need to be at ringside. <laughs> Not explained by Meltzer either. Um, Sid wants to take on Sting. Uh, the Night Stalker, yet yeah, another the really shitty guy on the roster. Um, I will tell you, Chad, before you go into this, that Meltzer gave this match minus four stars.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is one of the more infamous kind of Meltzer ratings of all time.
2: Uh, minus four stars, he gave this, <laughs> <us.
0: laughs> and this is actually uh, my uh, my worst match of the year that we watched uh, in the 1990 footage. This, this made the yearbook.
2: From any promotion.
0: From any promotion. This is the worst match I saw. Uh, it, it's, it's, I, w- I would recommend watching it just because it's so short. But it's, it's really bad. <laughs> it's really bad. I mean, the Night Stalker is Adam Bomb. I guess we can say that. It's Brian Clark or whatever. I've
2: actually got a blow. Do you want to hear my blow-by-blow blow summary of the Let's, let's
0: go for the blow-by-blow, because blow, I, this was, I mean, after watching the last three matches, I was just so, I was turned off on this show. Um,
2: the Night Stalker subdues Sid with a bear hug. Night Stalker with knees working on Sid's ribs now. Poorly mentions that the punctured, punctured lungs. Um, uh, that Sid had an old injury with a punctured lung. We so, get you know, one of the
0: worst called spots in that bear hug. Like, you can literally see them working out the match together where the Night Stalker is just talking up a storm and then Sid can't understand him, so then he asks him to repeat it again, and it's so bad.
2: Um, more really, really crappy knees from Stalker now as he puts knees into the ribs and we get what looks like a nerve hold, but is actually just Stalker just holding Sid at arm's length. Big Cat walks down to the ring. We get a big back suplex by Sid, which is a little bit surprising.
0: Yeah, Sid, Sid, part of the match.
2: Sid nails Big Cat. Uh, and then the Night Stalker grabs a massive cardboard axe. A What? Like a, an, an axe that is made visibly of cardboard or of some <laughs> non-lethal... Like, so... <laughs> It's just, and the commentators don't even call it an axe. They were like, "Whatever that is that Nightstalker's got." <laughs> then, almost kind of incidentally, I don't know how it happens. Sid kind of pins Nightstalker just by the by, and then Big Cat and Nightstalker beat him down.
0: Yeah, well, like, Sid hits him with the axe. Oh no! Nice. Well, it's not really like a hit. It's like a shove. He basically shoves him with the handle of the weapon. And then Flash pins him, and then Big Cat and the Night Stalker attack him after the match.
2: Now, what is going on here? I'm really confused, because Sid is a heel, right? He's uh, Hypothetically, he's, he's a heel. a horseman. Yeah. He wants, he's just told us he wants to fight Sting, the babyface yes. world champion. Yes. Big Cat has just started a feud, just, just now on this show, started a feud with Lex Luger. <laughs> so now Big Cat wants a feud with Sid as well? It's just so weird.
0: Like I don't, I just don't understand what's happening. It's some of the worst booking, probably in wrestling history, is what's happening.
2: Oh, such a clusterfuck. Yeah. Um, and if, as if things couldn't get any worse than this, Tony's with the Freebirds now, <laughs> who are going on about how they're happy about sending El Gigante back to Argentina, and they're really kind of pleased with where they win, and lo and behold, El Guiante's here, back from Argentina. (laughs) Um, so in the space of an hour and 30 minutes, he's managed to get himself from Argentina, back here. Um,
0: oh, Christ. Again, yeah, he uses no physicality. So again, people are just, like, terrified of him, so without him throwing a punch or lifting a finger, everybody's running away. Um,
2: This is one of the worst book cards of all time
0: well this this last 30 minutes and what's what's coming up where we get to the uh, my my personal favorite uh, segment on this show but it it's it's got to be up there with some of the worst uh, probably 30 40 minutes in wrestling right. history
2: but no no Chad I know that we've got some atrocities coming up okay like sold out for example is coming up in our viewing. I know that in the cup in, however long it takes us to get there. We've got 2001 WCW at some point to come. I want to go on record and say we won't see in the show than this.
0: Yeah. I Two, one of the 2000 shows is probably your closest contender, but I can't think of anything offhand. that's going to be as bad as this. <sighs>
2: um, Missy Hyatt shells the main event coming up. Um, and Arn Anderson is taking on Terry Taylor for the TV title in that main event. Have you seen Why that match,
0: couldn't have been on this show. Who knows? Have you seen that match, Chad? Yeah, I've seen those matches. Those are pretty good. And then uh, actually the Z-Man versus Arn Anderson uh, title change match is decent, too.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like Arn's reign is a complete write-off as TV champ.
0: Yeah, and it started out so promising. I mean, the early January stuff with Buzz Sawyer and him defeating Muda was uh, very good and a focus, and now it's just diluted.
2: The Steiner Brothers taking on Magnum Force. Who?
0: Yeah, no Uh, idea.
2: And, um, I want to say that this is the first time we've ever done this, but do we even want to review this match? Because it's like a a, a two minute squash and the nasties went in.
1: Uh, yeah, we see
0: basically uh basically yeah, your superstar squash. Scott hits the Frankensteiner for the win, uh, and then the nasties immediately run in. So, I mean, there's literally not much uh, more depth to that.
2: It's just an abortion. Um, yeah. And it'd be so predictable that the nasties are going to win in as well. Cause like, right. Well, I don't know. Like, do we need to see this as well? Like, do they need to do it twice? <laughs> it's just, like, every bit of the booking is atrocious. Is is Oli Anderson responsible for this?
0: Yeah, Oli's still uh, manning the uh, pencil here. Like, Probably I mean, a collaboration, him and uh, Big evil Jim Herd, I would say, or see, the blame.
2: I'm really annoyed at this point, because all of the shit that Oli Anderson talks in his shoot interviews, all of the crap he gives Vince and everybody else, he is responsible for this. So... I mean, I think that takes away his right to criticize anything. The fact yeah. that oh, that he is like, if you had this on your resume, you wouldn't like, you shouldn't be allowed to talk about any anybody else's booking, <laughs> or anything else. Um. Anyway, Tony Schiavone's with uh, Rick Flair and Anne Anderson. Flair puts uh, Arn over as the TV champ, which I thought was quite neat, and himself over as six-time champ. Um. The, cur- the crowd can't help but woo along with him. Um, Arn says it's a simple case of man's greed simply destroying him. Um, Probably one of the highlights of the show. That, that yeah, be- per-
0: pretty good promo here.
2: Yeah. And now, the Black Slypian cuts a promo.
0: So- now we will, yeah. And I'll, I'll just preface by saying, I'd, I'd seen this before, but in the confines... This show and watching this yesterday, and, and maybe it's again because of all the good stuff I watched before I watched this show, but but I'm I'm willing to declare this the worst uh, worst segment in wrestling history.
2: Well, the the, the the Black Scorpion says that Sid wants your belt. I want your life. Um, I've just written here they went from Funk versus Flair to this in the space of one year. Yes, yes, it's just
0: ugh. Poorly, um. Even Robocop looks like credible and serious business compared to this.
2: Poorly introduces Sting. Um, there's a big kind of curtain banner with Sting's face on it, which is quite high production values. Uh, Sting is wearing. Sting's
0: jacket is ridiculous.
2: He's he's wearing all denim tonight denim uh, jeans, denim jacket. And uh, the first thing he does is tell Paulie to shut up. Which you've got a pop from me because <laughs> Paulie's been on really bad form tonight. Like,
0: wasn't this the most annoying he's ever been? Do you think? Uh, well, I think Paulie knew the show was shit and just decided to, you know, he was going to be his most obnoxious self. But
2: <sighs> anyway, the Black Scorpion comes out and he grabs a
0: guy. Just appears like midway through the ramp.
2: Yeah, he grabs a guy from the crowd. <laughs> oh, <Christ. laughs> he grabs a guy from the crowd puts like a box thing on his head and turns it around in a very cheap looking parlor trick basically where the guy's head if you can imagine turns 360 in this box then he gorilla presses this man over his head in some quite ex- you know, give him his due, quite impressive strength, and throws him into a cage. He covers the cage with um, a kind of cloth of some sort, and when he removes it, the man from the crowd has turned into a leopard. Now he goes into a big box in the middle of the ramp and uh, disappears. That's some David Copperfield shit right there, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Shit, of course, being the operative word. Um, in one of the more entertaining moments in Observer history, Meltzer was absolutely livid at all of this. <laughs> he, says, he says if magic had anything to do with wrestling, then Harry Houdini would have drawn big money against Strangler Lewis. <laughs> David Copperfield would have had a legendary fee with Ric Flair. As one person who was a a, a reader... And had done some magic called in and said, "Jim Heard has already killed the wrestling business. Now he's working on killing the magic business too." <laughs> so there we go. Uh,
0: any thoughts? It's, this is, I it's so bad. Like it is, it, if you want to look up wrestle crap in the dictionary, this this is. Absolutely gotta be it. Like, I mean, like I said, the, uh, Robocop stuff looks like, uh, high theater on Broadway compared to this because the, the visual of that poor little guy in the audience having his head turned around, like, I mean, I, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot possibly. <laughs> Like, what is, is Sting supposed to be pissed at this? Like, I, I don't know what the <laughs> psychology is. Like, it is so uh, fucking stupid. Like, let's, I, I, oh, let's just have a magic show in the middle of a wrestling. Yeah, show. I mean, I mean, I mean, is Sting supposed to applaud? Is he supposed to be mad? As the, <laughs> I, I mean, what? How in the world does this at any bit? Relate to 1986. Him knowing Sting. I mean, was Sting a magician growing up? It's just nothing. Absolutely nothing makes sense here. Like, like I, I cannot even fathom like the rundown of this show. And then, I mean, who in the back decided this? This is the idea we have. First, we're gonna have the danger zone. Second, the scorpion's gonna come out, grab somebody, make his head turn around. Third, he's gonna turn the guy then into a leopard, and fourth, he's gonna make his own self disappear. And this is supposed to be the uh, kind of big build up, the money, the money angle, so to speak, to Starcade. <laughs> it's it's absolutely. I mean, it's asinine. Like I cannot. I, I, I you know Brad Woodling he watched this he said the statement was magical that's that's <laughs> that's, that's about all and and the guy when he gets girl press slapped up i'm I'm sadly watching this as we see the guy when he gets girl press slapped up, he lifts his hand in the air it, It's 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 so dumb. it is just so dumb. I mean, can you imagine if this was on the WWE show right now? How I mean, in the internet era, how badly this will get panned. Anybody, I, you know, I'm not going to say they have booked Daniel Bryan brilliantly in the past four months. But if anybody wants to trade what's happening on WWE TV right now for this shit, I will, I will be gladly trade you. Because this, this is the setup for their hypothetically biggest show of the year. And it is, and like I said, it is atrocious. And that's why I think with those parameters, that's why this is the worst segment in wrestling history. Like I can't, I, even with some of the worst stuff with the higher power, Undertakers, a magician, anything like that, I can understand how, on a rationale sense, you can understand what's going on. <laughs> I I don't know. It makes you want have sting just standing there watching the guy. Yeah. yeah, I mean I mean I'm I'm watching this now where Sting again examines the box after he disappears. It oh. is it's just like if this guy's gonna disappear every time without I mean, is this supposed to be another psychological blow to Sting? <laughs> that he can perform a magic trick? It's so stupid.
2: Oh. Well you know, um I I have got probably a Bigger taste for wrestle crap than most. Like I quite like it, as you know. Uh, I love yes. kind of goofy stuff in wrestling, but this has no redeeming features. I, I don't like it. I don't like. I don't. You, you can't even like this in an ironic way because it's it's just so. Like you said, Chad, it's just so bad. So I mean, it doesn't make like any sense at all.
0: Yeah, I think we're far enough removed, like twenty three years ago that I could just, like, laugh at the absurdity of this, but I I, I don't don't know. It was so bad.
2: Meltzer actually says that he knows people who are going to Starcade that have then decided not to go after seeing the show.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, probably because you could rent Larry the Magician to come to your house and do the same shit for less than the ticket to Starcade.
2: Hey, you know, if this guy was performing for uh, Janet Jackson, I bet he cost a packet too.
0: I mean, it, I mean it honestly. I mean, I work, I work, I audit nursing homes. That's my real job. I mean, this what what we're seeing here is honestly stuff where, you know, I've went in nursing homes and they've had a uh, you know magician as an entertainer. I mean, this is what this looks like: like somebody in the you know in the common area of a nursing home doing parlor magic tricks. It is so bad.
2: Chad, I, I have to ask, given that you go in and audit there. You say, hold on, you've spent what $300 on a magician? I'm cutting that. <laughs> do you do you cut the magician? <laughs> do you um,
0: do you uh, question uh, things like that? We, we do. If, if they can produce a receipt, that actually is related to uh, patient care, quote unquote. So that is a valid charge. So, <laughs>
2: yeah, all
0: right. If they book the Black Scorpion, though, would you... Yeah, uh, uh, I, I might make a finding if they do <laughs> book the Black Scorpion. All right.
2: Um, we get got a recap of the Teddy Long versus Flair feud now, um, including a segment where Long gets a surprise gift box of the uh, show for uh, the uh, uniform.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, they didn't show... Have you ever seen where Flair gets kidnapped? No. Yes. yes, by Doom. Yes, by Doom and Teddy Long. That would have been the kind of uh, creme de la creme after the Black Scorpion stuff, because that's also one of probably the dumbest damn things in <laughs> wrestling history. Well,
2: I mean, there's a, here's the thing with this card, right? It's like, but it's, it's Usually on a show, you get like one kind of like terrible moment or something. Here, right? We've had. God, we've had the Big Cat run in um, in a moment where he's getting him like where all of the kind of heel face dynamics are completely messed up uh, with the Sid uh, Big Cat stuff. After one of the worst matches of all time with the Night Stalker Sid, we get El Giante coming back from Argentina in magic record time. We get the uh, Magnum Force Steiner's match um, being over like, like in less than two minutes. We get the Black Scorpion. And on top of all of that now, we have a coin toss that makes absolutely no sense at all. Yeah. Um, what is it, What happens now? Because I just assumed it was just going to be Doom versus Flare and Arn. But no, this is a singles match.
0: Where... Yeah, that you, you didn't know what the match was going to be until ten seconds before it started.
2: Right. And the yeah. coin toss is because... Who knows? It's just, I mean... <laughs> None of it makes sense. I mean, the whole premise of this match doesn't make sense. I mean, for a start, Flair's giving up a limo and and a yacht, as we mentioned, uh, for a TV, for a, a tag title shot at titles he's already had many, many shots at. Right, right. Makes no sense at all. And Doom aren't giving anything up. I mean, they even mention it on, like, Terry Long gets, like, but if you were Reed or Simmons, do you particularly care that Long spends a day as a... Somebody else is somebody's driving. Yeah, that
0: doesn't really affect them at all.
2: So really stupid. Like, and then like, Arn is really pissed that he's not the man. Like, he's really gutted by it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be. He still got paid. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, uh, Reed versus Flair. Um, which on any other car would be reasonably exciting to see. Uh, Flair and Reed hook up. Reed's a good wrestler. Flair's a good wrestler.
0: Chad. Yeah, before I get into the actual match, I was talking to Charles about this last night. And we got some classic Charles theories on this match where he uh, hypothesized that Flair should have put his hair on the line. And they did kind of tease some of this going into the match. Uh, So he said it's like a Flair versus Reed hair versus hair match or, or Teddy Long's hair versus Flair's hair uh, kind of a pop of rating and then also then we got real uh, crazy town with the kidnap angle how like the horseman could buy spots on the, you know we have like an interview segment with Teddy Long where he says he hasn't seen Ric Flair but like uh some sunglasses falls out of his jacket pocket or something and they look like the sunglasses Flair wears or just stuff like that. So we, we kind of went off the rails with this. But uh, but so the match, after the coin toss, we get this match. And Reed stalks off big with punches and drop kicks. And Flair kind of starts the match off as the de facto face, I thought, coming in. Yeah. But then it's, it's like the uh, switch flips in some ways where... Uh, kind of Flair reaches for the rope and Patrick pulls him off by the hair and then Flair kind of becomes the, uh, the heel. Uh, but then, then the same match, he's also doing the gator chomp. I don't, you probably didn't catch that, but yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's a Florida gator kind of gesture that they do. Oh. And we know, so he did, we know he's a fan.
2: We know Flair's a fan of the yes. Yeah. Gators. So
0: we did, we, he did that to pop a crowd. So. This match was a mess. I mean, there was not a, uh, I, I still say it was decent just because it's these two guys, but it was really disappointing. Not much of a structure, I didn't think at all. A lot of kind of punches and kicks, but not in a, oh, this is a badass brawling fashion, but, uh, we kind of don't know what to do next fashion. And then the, the, uh, the finish I thought was okay where, uh, Orn pulls out Nick Patrick on a pin attempt and, Reed is able to hit the, uh, a pretty bad shoulder block from the top, and then you get a schmoz where Simmons knocks Flair out, and Reed is going for the pin, but then Arn recovers, uh, hits a chair, uh, hits Reed with a chair on the back, and then Flair pins him for the win, and then we get kind of a a, a a little bit of a celebration to end it. So it's it's it was pretty disappointing to me overall.
2: I know Meltzer went at least three stars on this. Um, oh, no.
0: Yeah, uh, I would not go that.
2: Yeah, I know. I thought it was disappointing too, considering who was involved. I did think Reed looked quite good when he was on top in the early part of the match. Um. Uh, But yeah, the, the, the heel face dynamics are really confusing in the company at the moment. It feels like they're trying to reposition all, the horsemen as uh, baby faces. I mean, with Sid, is kind of a face. Flare is kind of a face. Um, and I was wondering if they were doing this, basically, so that the Scorpion thing was more of a surprise when it happened. If they were kind of more face... Like, that's the only way I can reason it. Um, but I guess,
0: would they know that Flare was going to be the Scorpion by this point? Well, that,
2: yeah, that would probably be giving them too much credit or <laughs> at yeah, this point, knows? because... Um, In fact, I'm really surprised that they're booking Starcade a year in advance, because it seems like the only thing they've planned.
0: Oh, I know. That's why I wrote that down from Keller, because I thought that was so ridiculous that he's talking about where they're going to be in Starcade. Also, because they switched the venue, I can't remember whether it was a Clash or The Havoc or... No, it was Starcade. That's right. The Starcade of 90, they switched the venue, remember, because they They changed it to St. Louis uh, hypothetically, because that's Jim Hurd's hometown.
2: Yeah. Oh, God. Um, right. Uh, yeah.
0: Keller gave this three stars also. So.
2: It was, I mean, it was all, It was all right, but I, I don't think it did anything like saving the show or anything. Um, God, this was bad. Uh, match of the night, Chad?
0: Yeah, uh, my match of the night actually is going to be Buddy Landale versus I had
2: that as my match of the night as well, Landell versus Pillman. It's I think
0: only... that's uh, by far probably the worst match of the night we've given. But I, don't
2: know. I didn't even like. I, I did consider briefly giving it to the nasties, but no. Uh, I
0: mean, I, I would say the main event is probably my second. I mean, I'd I'd probably rank the main event in both the Pillman Landale match in the two and a half star range. Uh, two to two and a half star range that's as high as i'll go on a rating for this show but i honestly don't understand why this show's kind of not talked about more because we're gonna get to it relatively soon but i uh, i've watched a good bit of great american bash 91 and i'm not gonna claim that's a, a good show even but I, I'm telling you, I don't think it's near as bad as this.
2: Let Let's make that the question of the week, Chad. Yeah. The question for the listeners this week or this show: Is there a worse show than Clash of the Champions Thirteen? Because
0: got to be a major show. So, a Clash a Saturday night's main event. Yeah, a pay per view from either any promotion,
2: any promotion supercard, supercard of some sort or a special. Um, I don't think there is. I think this is just, like, start to finish atrocious. Yeah. But booking-wise, the worst book show of all time. Right. I, I, I'd go on record and say that. Um, MVP?
0: Uh, probably uh, Pillman again, I guess. He got, he got a decent win over a mid-level performer and uh, looked good doing it. So I guess Pillman.
2: Oh, it's weak, isn't it? I was considering giving it to Landell. Very weak MVP. Um, Yeah, bloody Landell. Yeah. So, we've got just a huge array of options. Yeah, I, 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 this,
0: this is like the equivalent of with the Flair Steamboat matches. You felt bad <laughs> not giving the MVP to one of them. Uh, this is the opposite effect here, where there's about three slam-dump Billy Graham award candidates, and I, I feel bad that not two of them are not going to have it.
2: And there are two um, non-wrestlers in contention as well. Paul Lee is in contention for me, as is um, Ole Anderson for putting together this atrocity. Can we put the whole roster as the sixth Graham award winner? <laughs>
0: God. That feels like a cheat. I, I will actually. I think I'm gonna go with the Black Scorpion. Just I I, I can't get past. I, I well I don't know. I'm kind of talking myself out of it because I mean it's not necessarily it's the uh, it's not his yeah, boss, is it it's not his yeah boss. I guess I'm going with Oli Anderson if he booked this. I I gotta go with Ollie. I don't like doing that, uh, but I I. And again, there's no words. Like I don't understand how anybody could uh, like them running down this show and them thinking that was a good idea. How, how
2: can how can he look in the mirror uh, after saying some of the shit he does, Oli Anderson, when he he knows that he put to, like he's responsible for this? And, unless he l- literally lost so much power here that essentially this is evil Jim Hurd. Yeah, guy. yeah,
0: that's why I'm a little shaky because I don't know specifically whose call it was but i mean the, we'd seen magic tricks before uh they didn't work they were dumb as hell and then we get basically the coup de gras here with three magic tricks right in a row which is yeah. I, I don't know so I, I, I guess since i don't know for sure who forced that on i i don't want to put them as it, so I'm just gonna hedge my bets and do the Night Stalker because he was absolutely atrocious too, and I don't feel bad about him winning it, like in spite of the booking, because he, he was,
2: yeah. I, well, I was thinking of going the for the Night Stalker too, but given that you've gone for him, oh, there are so many. Like, think about El Gigante; <laughs> he missed his plane. Um. <laughs> You, I mean, that's like, in terms of being a bad worker, that's literally just a bad worker. He just didn't get to work on time. Um, Christ. Um, Low City Madman was bad. Ox Baker was billed. He wasn't there. Um, oh, I, I don't know. Uh, God. K- Botswana Beast? <laughs> um I don't know, Motor City Madman was pretty, like, for that suplex alone, it it may have to be him. That's the worst suplex of all time.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, Motor City Madman is my, uh, and for conversation over, consider it done, uh, as the worst line of any wrestler ever. Like, he tried to get over that as a catchphrase, because they mentioned it several times Doing that. Consider it done. All right. Uh w- right, so if you can think of a worse card than this, let us know. And uh, I guess well next time, Chad. Uh, we're being joined by um the head honcho there at PDP Nation, uh, Brad. Right?
0: Yeah, Brad will be joining us for Starcade 1990. Uh, and I guess we'll announce here. We've we've been talking about this some, but we're probably gonna be scaling back on the guests. Uh, Only just because our times and coordinating it. So we'll probably be doing that. But Brad will be with us for Starcade 9.
2: Yeah, I think it's safe to say that for Starcade, we'll get in a guest every time. Starcade's a big show, right?
0: Yeah, we have had one on for every pay-per-view. It may not be every pay-per-view now. And then uh, real quickly, because uh, (laughs) Brad was yelling at us while we were recording, uh, there is a new podcast kind of page for where the big boys play on place to be nation.com where you can either click the, uh, the, the podcast banner, which is on the right-hand side or click under the toolbar podcasts. And, uh, from there you'll see our logo for where the big boys play and you can go to our page, which has displayed, uh, all our podcasts in an easy to access area, if you don't want to uh subscribe to uh, iTunes or an alter- alternative to iTunes.
2: Yeah, and, and I guess um people who are feeling lonely this Christmas uh shouldn't watch Clash of the Champions 13. No,
0: I would not <laughs> recommend watching this show to lift your spirits. You I mean, know, it really did. It really did like it was a downer last it, night.
2: It put me in a it put me in a bad mood as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, have a good Christmas, Chad. And uh, I guess I'll speak to you in a week. All right. Sounds good.
1: See you, Parv. Bye, Chad. Fans for all of us here at WCW Center Stage for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>